Well, a good Monday morning to you on this April 26th, and welcome to Real Talk. We hope that you had a great weekend. We have a great show in store. Uh, in just a moment, we're going to be checking in with uh, emergency doctor Joe Vipond. He's the co-founder of a group, Masks for Canada. Uh, we've had Dr. Vipon booked for a number of days now. Um, it's not because of a Twitter dust up that he's in right now with with one of Canada's easily most prominent uh, orphan, well, deadbeat dads, uh, Brett W. Brett Wilson. You know, this guy, um, the dragon from CBC Dragon's Den, um, you know, the uh, the the uh, what would they call him? The online provocateur uh, W. Brett Wilson taking aim at our leadoff guest this morning, which is only a good thing for real talk because it's going to draw more eyes and probably draw more attention to the message that Dr. Vipon wants to get out which is that uh, Alberta, and for that matter, I think he's probably going to say to us, Canada needs to take stronger steps when it comes to flattening this curve. He's one of the co-founders, as, as mentioned. He's a COVID zero guy, masks for Canada. We're going to ask him what a plan should look like and, and get him to break into some of the numbers that we've seen, quite frankly, spiking here in Alberta over the past number of, of days and the past number of weeks. Brett Wilson says it's a partisan thing. He says that the doctor's not a Calgary doctor. He says he's an NDP supporting doctor. He, he's, he's, he's brushing off or dismissing the doctor's warnings, and, and it's drawn the attention of another dragon, of Arlene Dickinson. You remember Arlene, who's been on the show before? Well, she's now offering to pony up $10,000 for charity. She's going to match it. The good doctor wants to put a thousand bucks down uh, on W. Brett Wilson's assertion. This isn't going to happen. The doc, I'm sure it's money. He'd prefer not to win. We're going to get into this with them. That's coming up in about 12 minutes time. We're going to talk to a mother daughter duo today. Both of them doctors, both of them covid survivors that's coming up in about an hour and 15 minutes from now and we're also gonna i'm gonna have an opportunity to check back in uh, with a gal i did an interview with a couple of years ago maria delu at the time when i spoke to her on a, on a former radio show i used to host we weren't even using her name she was remaining anonymous because i was talking to her about her volunteer uh, her involvement with a gay straight alliance at a school here in alberta she says that her involvement there, a story that she told about it was 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 misrepresented and was weaponized and was actually used in affidavits that became highly political. Well, a couple of years have passed and Maria's reached back out to the show and she says, I'm ready now to go on the record. She says, I've got some important things to talk about here in the context of these gay straight alliances, the role that they play in kids lives, why she believes that they're important for schools. So we're going to get to that story as well. Plus, some troubling news, of course, breaking over the weekend, an incident a while ago, uh, uh, I would say a young Edmonton man, 14 years old. That, that's kind of the transition, isn't it? Uh, 14, you're, you're still a kid. You're also a young man. Well, well, this young guy who's being called Pazzo. Most people are going to use his first name, Pazzo. He's a 14-year-old student in Edmonton, uh, bullied undeniably, beaten, hospitalized as a matter of fact. And there seems to be every bit of evidence that would suggest that this is a racially motivated attack. So over the weekend, the story flaring up as the video's gone viral, uh, people quite rightfully asking, what do the Edmonton police intend to do about this? What's the school board going to do about this? We're going to take a look at that story and other stories making news. Plus, 
Right after we officially kick things off today, we're going to introduce you to a new team member. We're so excited that she's joining the mix, our new Chase producer, in just a moment. Every single show that we bring you is presented by our presenting sponsors at Bitcoin Well. Was driving past their new digs the other day. They've not moved in yet. They're under construction, but they're getting set to expand that beautiful flagship location, downtown Edmonton. If you know, you know, 104th Street and Jasper Avenue, just a, a beautiful, beautiful corner spot where they can be as accessible as possible to people looking to learn more about crypto. That's their whole deal. You lack understanding. You fear like you have dumb questions. They're not. And they're ready for them at Bitcoin Well, plus Bitcoin ATMs all across the country. You can find them under the Sponsors tab at RyanJesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Well, before we get to Dr. Joe Vipond, we wanted to uh, introduce you to a team member that we're thrilled to bring on board. Uh, Real Talkers, we've shared with you over the past couple of months, we've uh, undergone a hiring process, a search, if you will, for somebody uh, that we know that we can add to the mix who will provide a great benefit to this show and a great benefit to you and your experience tuning in. And it's a real pleasure uh, to officially introduce the show's new chase producer sarah hoyles sarah welcome to the team ah, thanks so much uh, big first day on the new job how are you feeling oh it feels like a first day of school like what am i gonna wear are they gonna like me yeah you've got a ton of experience uh in broadcasting in podcasting in communications and in production um the audience is going to want to get to know you a little bit and inevitably they will in the days and weeks and months to come but what do you all about what makes you tick oh boy well i was born and raised in edmonton alberta so um and according to my dad this is the greatest city in all of the world why does he feel that way do you think oh, oh that's a really good question i mean really there's there doesn't need to be any reason it's just it is it's fact <laughs> According to my pops. Uh, what was it when you take a look at the media landscape? Mm. Um, you were pretty motivated to join this team. What is it about real talk? What is it about what we're doing that, that drew your attention and ultimately your talent? Well, I mean, when I went to journalism school out at Dalhousie uh, in Halifax, I mean, that was a while ago. But I mean, the media landscape even then was changing. And seeing what you're doing, uh, what you and Sam are doing is just, I mean, it's where we're moving. It's the idea that we need to be online. Even just talking with my with some of my family members, they were like, well, I don't actually listen to anything that's being broadcast. I listen to stuff on demand. So mm. there's podcasts, there's, um, I mean, YouTube, you name it. So that to me, I feel like I want to be in that space. I want to be a part of this evolution and this changing. Um, yeah, as a journalist, I, I have to be that, you know, that catchphrase, that, that word that everyone's using, I have to be willing to pivot. Yeah. Pivoting is what it's all about, right? I mean, Sam's a story of that. I'm a story mm. of that. You're a story of that. And and our audience, too. Um, and, and I'm excited for people to get to know you and, and uh, you know, get a sense of, of what you're bringing to the mix. This is uh, it's it's a it's it's an unbelievable animal. This show. Right. You've, it's a you've, beast. You've, it's a beast. Well, you've got these <laughs> you've got this community that gathers every morning. Uh, the live crew. 
the two live crew maybe we can get into we may run into some co- some sort of like trademark or yeah, I, I, I don't know if assist. you should go there i don't know yeah. if, i don't know if we can afford that uh maybe we'll stay away from that um we but just sarah, dropped all got, this dough on sarah like, yeah, the, you know, yeah that's let's, right let's keep the expenses kind of yeah. moderate for a bit well no but you got to be careful of messaging so we also want to reiterate that we're also totally lawyered up I mean, Sam, that's true yeah yeah very deep yeah we're, <laughs> we've got very deep pockets we're all lawyered up um but uh you know uh, you know you kind of um you know you you get you get this this crew in the morning hyper engaged and we gather you know we say in community and in conversation and then through the day the show will hit many more people right mm. it's like this ripple effect they'll catch it on youtube or the majority will download the podcast and and so what's really neat is that the, the stories continue to drive their way forward in a way that you don't typically see and that's one of the things i get really excited about and if i were to make a prediction i think that's one of the things that'll that'll make an early impression on you so welcome to the team we're excited to have you here uh, how was your weekend oh it's great get into anything exciting into like a whole bunch of dirt and like literal dirt are you a gardener yes <laughs> sort of you do I your mean, best I, that's yeah, a very exactly. confident yes there yeah well i just um i'm i'm basically destroyed my front lawn um uh, not really interested in having a lawn so just have massive planters and so my oh. mom built these amazing big planters out of rec- uh, reclaimed wood and uh we just are we just like hauled i hauled five yards of soil this weekend wow very well done sam was in here rejigging camera angles yeah. and mics and lights and and uh installing some new plexiglass uh, we got the is, extra is, little layer pretty shielding awesome. here yeah i'd like to point out because sam will never do it that he actually built that and like welded the clamps Get and, out of here. Uh, oh yeah just like any other just like any other audio engineer you might hire he went ahead and and welded and built plexiglass it was, just, it, it, was it was easier to just do it myself this That's, whole thing I, I often am like that i'm just kind of like yeah i could, I could spend forever finding some supplier to give this house or i could just build one it would just be it would be and just i agree. and i would like to share that that sentiment it was much easier for me to have sam build it himself mm. as well so thanks very much so so here we are yeah i like this somebody suggesting on the live chat maybe three live crew now that we've added sarah to the mix maybe that's what we can call it but but um you know a lot of people welcoming you and issuing you, you warm welcomes and sarah's going to be keeping an eye on the live chat via our youtube channel of course you access that by ryanjesperson.com and we thank you for those of you that do subscribe uh to our youtube channel and that hit the like button we're seeing return on that i know a lot of you have been advocating for that in the live chat saying hit the like button if you like an interview hey. if you show up hit the live hit the like button and and the more that you're doing that the more traction the show's getting um, the kids call them algorithms and so we're appreciative of that on a serious note fatima says that uh, she saw pazzo and his mom on Saturday, she says they're absolutely exhausted and they should never have had to have advocated for action to be taken by Edmonton's public school board and by the Edmonton Police Service. Fatima, I'm inclined to agree with you 100 percent on that. So we're going to be talking about uh, that story and other stories uh, as as time goes on uh, through today's show. And of course, into this week uh, right now, uh, it's undeniable Albertans are being affected uh, in a major way and physicians, healthcare professionals, frontline workers are sounding the alarm that the third wave is upon us, that it needs to be taken seriously. I mean, among those voices is uh, Dr. Joe Vipond. He's an emergency doctor out of Calgary. He's the co-founder of Mass for Canada. Doctor, thanks so much for making time for us today and welcome to Real Talk. 
I think we've got you muted, Doc. So we'll uh, we'll get you off mute there, so we can hear you. Why don't we try that again? I think that one was my bad. Sorry okay, can we hear you, Doc? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, you good stuff. Yeah, we can hear you loud and clear. Um, Sam, can you call up those tweets? Uh, I, I, let's just get into this. I mean, out of the gates, this is what people are talking about over the weekend. Uh, a prominent Calgary entrepreneur uh, is taking big swings at you. Uh, CBC Dragon alum W. Brett Wilson says, you know, a Calgary doctor, he questions the reporting by the Calgary Herald. A Calgary doctor says Alberta ICU admissions uh, will soon exceed the second wave peak. He says, not a Calgary doctor, really, an NDP voting doctor. He says, who campaigns no matter what is done, a solid Alberta NDP approach. He dismisses you, to which you reply publicly, a thousand bucks to the food bank, says I'm right. W. Brett Wilson, are you in? What gives? Have you had a, have you had a beef with this guy for a long time? Uh, you know, he's, he's done a couple of tweets about me. Uh, to be fair, I, I, I'm, I'm worried about, um, Brett Wilson. I worry about, um, some of the vitriol he has on there. It, it, there's been concerns that maybe he has some, um, some issues that have to be dealt with. And, um, I, I, I feel for him if, if that's the case. Um, so I, I mean, a couple things about that tweet, uh, that's that tweet series. Um, I think it's very dangerous when people are able to just throw out statements out there um, and not be held to account. So myself included, if I make a statement like our third wave will overcome um, the ICUs or well, sorry, that's not the right. If our, our third wave will overcome the ICU rate in the second wave, I should be held to account for that. Like if I'm wrong, that's a pretty big thing to say. Um, so I, I want to be held to account for that. Um, but on Twitter, punditry, often people can say whatever they want without any consequences. Brett can dismiss me as an NDP doctor, and and maybe there's no consequences to that. So um, I felt a little awkward about this offer to give money to the to the uh, to the food bank if if I was wrong. Um, because it is, you know, somebody pointed out it's it's betting on illness, it's betting on on sickness. Um, it's not a bet that I benefit from, but it it was really an attempt to say, look, there are consequences to what you're doing. Are you willing to um, are you willing to accept some of those consequences? to to your statements if you, if you feel that that i'm inaccurate so well i hope that explains it <laughs> yeah i mean i think you're you're being uh i mean you're speaking sincerely i'm not suggesting you're not you're certainly being diplomatic i mean if i can throw a few things out there quite frankly uh who the hell cares what w brett wilson thinks uh about the science around covid19 uh i care about that as much as i care about his science around climate change uh which is very little um, he's absolutely in no position to uh, present himself as having any sort of authority uh, in healthcare or in an understanding of a pandemic or in an understanding of the ways to manage a pandemic. And quite frankly, to invoke uh, the way that you may or may not vote, a doctor is also completely irrelevant, as W. Brett Wilson is completely partisan, and his views are obviously clouded by his blind allegiance to conservative politics and parties here. So I'm not exactly sure what he's endeavoring to accomplish here. I'm not sure if he's trying to, to tampen down cons- 
concern that doctors are indicating on mass across the board because people are dying. I'm not sure what would prompt W. Brett Wilson to, to put this out there, but it does put you in a unique position on a positive side. I think it draws way more attention to what you're talking about. Yeah. And I think um, one of the things that I think this uh, highlights is the fact that we are now, especially with social media, in a world where those people with the loudest voices um, uh, can sometimes override the conversation. And I think we've seen that with COVID policy in this province. The, the polls say that the, the vast majority of Albertans want strong COVID policy. They don't want uh, unnecessary deaths. They don't want unnecessary illnesses. Um, and, um, and yet the the small proportion of very loud people who feel that any kind of public health measures are an infringement on their freedom to do whatever they want, um, they seem to be winning uh, because they, they're amplified on media, they're amplified on social media, and they're listened to by politicians, maybe because they're loud. And I think that's a deeper conversation to have at some point, because we've seen that here in Alberta on COVID, we've seen that. I mean, I remember that I don't know this, that you're from Edmonton, but in Calgary, we had this rapid bus line fiasco where basically like a half a dozen or a dozen people took over the airwaves um, for a number of weeks to try and shut down rapid bus transit. Um, uh, so it's it's crazy the amount of power people can have now with social media, and I try to be very cautious with what i put out there so that it's infused with science and infused with policy thought good policy thought but i'm just not sure that's always happening yeah and that's a fair comment let's let's take a look at uh where alberta's at right now uh, leading the country in some of the worst ways alberta and ontario are in thick on this uh we've put some numbers together here that, that get a sense and, and these are the most recent numbers that we have access to of the cases in alberta hospitalizations and things along those lines uh in alberta right now most recent numbers uh, sourcing alberta health services here twenty thousand one hundred thirty six active cases including uh twelve thousand two hundred ninety nine active variant cases 594 in hospital 100 140 in ICU, um, 2,067 Albertans have lost their lives to COVID-19. Can you give us a sense of of the significance of some of these numbers? I mean, sometimes, you know, our thoughts get awash in numbers and we can lose our perspective a little bit. Uh, you're an emergency doc. Where's our perspective right. check? Well, let's start with the fun stuff, the good stuff. Um, so deaths are dropping. So we've seen that clearly. This is definitely not, uh, from a mortality perspective, the second wave. And I think that's a testament to vaccines. We vaccinated our most vulnerable population, which uh, predominantly is our, our, our most elderly and then and then those with comorbidities. So that's a real um, celebration that, that vaccines work. Now, everything else is not as good. Um, our numbers, as you say, we have the highest case rate in, in the country. Um, it's over 400 people. Uh, uh, cases per 100,000. Um, places like uh, Fort Mac are above 1,000, Banff the same, um, cases per 100,000. Um, some of the most worrisome stuff is the hospitalization and the ICU. We know those are lagging indicators, so they, they kind of sneak up on you. As we had the curve climbing, 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 we didn't see actually the um, the hospitalizations in ICU. And even myself, I was like, what's going on? Why are, why are we not seeing this, this jump? And now it's crazy. Actually, our, our growth rate is higher um, at this time than it was at any time in the second wave for both hospitalizations and ICU. Um, we will 
overlap our ICU rate from the second wave sometime this week, maybe by Wednesday. Um, it was up 11 yesterday, and we're only 11 away from our record of 151. Um, and uh, the hospitalizations are going up about 30% per week, um, and no sign of slowing. So this is these are th- these are the concerning things. I've so we we try to sort of make sense and we see a lot of numbers and a lot of this gets politicized and and members of the general public, I think, care most like how bad is this? What do I need to know? How do I protect my family? You know, I mean, you know, what's this going to mean for maybe our plans to travel this summer? Ultimately, economically, what do things look like? These are the types of ways that people interpret data and that people try to understand it. So you've got people now listening to politicians that might say, uh, you know, I mean, the ICU admissions, you know, if we have 150 or even 200 people in ICU, they'll say we have, you know, we believe we've built capacity to 600 ICU beds in the province. And we probably uh, I've seen, you know, United Conservative politicians saying this over the past couple of weeks could scale up to a thousand ICU beds if necessary. On the flip side, I hear ER docs uh, here in Edmonton, down in Calgary and elsewhere saying you can't just staff ICUs by waving a magic wand. You can't just add two or 400 ICU beds. It's not realistic. Um, how do you see it through your eyes with regards to ICU capacity? Let's keep in mind that people that wind up in car crashes or, or drowning or that get burned around a campfire also require ICU care. Right. And I just like to um, I'd like to take that on two points, if I may. The first is um, like they could recruit someone like me or another emergency doctor to take over some intensive care uh, um, uh, work. I'm not an intensively trained doctor. It's a five-year fellowship. Um, to think that they would get the same care from me as they might from uh, an intensivist is, I think, um, mistaken. Also, I know that they're doubling up on nursing. Usually it's one-to-one ICU nursing, so one nurse per per patient all day, 24 hours, and um, that may have to change. That's not going to be good. So those are a couple things to think about. The other thing I want to re- reiterate, and I've heard this a lot from different levels of government and from um, from different people is that um, it's not all about healthcare capacity. Like 140 people in the ICU right now are there with a preventable illness that if we had had better policy um, could have been avoided. There's there still preventable and predictable illnesses out there. And so we're talking about people in hospital, we're talking about people in ICU, and then we're talking about the regular um, uh, non-serious illnesses that are walking around um, that 10 to 30 percent of those will go on to have long COVID which essentially is a disability right you are disabled uh, uh, and we don't know for how long because we don't have the studies but it is for weeks to months of dealing with cognitive issues um, uh, uh, shortness of breath chest pain loss of taste and smell um, fatigue um, and, and the people that I hear that reach out to me with their long COVID, they're devastated by this. Um, and again, so if we had 1,500 cases yesterday, that's 150 to 300 people that from one day of cases that are going on to have um, you know, long-term problems. And that's irrespective of age and irrespective of their, of their initial severity of illness. So um, Let's uh, let's at least take a moment to look beyond the healthcare capacity. These are real people suffering with with um, real illness. I mean, I, this is anecdotal, uh, but I can tell you, I talked to a buddy just the other day, uh, one of the more fit guys that I know. He, he works in an industry that requires him to be uh, physically fit. 
he, he's a young guy. Uh, he's in his early 40s. Um, he survived COVID. Uh, but he tells me, he said to paint a perspective, said he was uh, frying bacon the other day uh, for his sons. He says, I can't smell bacon anymore. He says, I can barely taste anything that I eat. Uh, and this is a guy whose COVID experience was months and months ago. That's one guy. That's one bit of anecdotal evidence. But I mean, I think this, the conversation, like you alluded to, Doc, uh, around long COVID, it, it's not been a thing yet. It's, it's like how the generation after polio could look back and say, mm-hmm. you know, there were always those kids in my class that limped around or that couldn't hold a water jug out at full arm extension for the rest of their lives. They may have survived it, uh, but it left mm-hmm. a lasting impact. Yeah, if you go onto the Alberta COVID statistics website, you can see deaths. You can see hospitalizations, you can see ICU, you can see recovered, and you can see active cases. There's no mention of long COVID. In fact, there's been a, a real absence of that discussion at the public health level in, in this province. So, Doc, what does it look like when you, when you talk about steps that need to be taken? Um, when you talk about COVID zero, uh, COVID zero um, you know, we've, we've talked to, you know, different uh, doctors and, and uh, scientists on this show that have painted different pictures of of what they might do and and of course it's not lost on us that we also talk to entrepreneurs and business owners and 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 people eager to see the economy recover uh, including politicians for obvious reasons Um, i know that you know some restaurateurs for example are are thrilled to at least have patios open so they can do something revenue wise through the spring and into the summer months Um, if you were calling the shots on policy what would it look like so COVID zero has been quite controversial, right? Like Jason Kenney has emphatically said, this is not the way we want to go. So at the beginning of February, when we announced the launch into the phase one recovery, that was somewhere around February 5th. Um, there were those of us who were saying, well, why don't we just continue this for another seven weeks? We'll get to zero. We'll fix our borders like people are talking about doing now so that other um disease and variants don't get into our, our borders. Uh, and then in seven weeks, um, we'll be at zero and we can actually have indoor dining. We can have, you know, New Zealand style um, interactions, probably with masking as much as possible, but, but, um, but certainly much more open uh, than, than anybody's first seeing now. So we decided not to do that seven week lockdown to zero. Instead, we continued on as it were, this was I call this the preventable and predictable predictable wave because it was totally predictable, totally preventable if we had put in good policy. So now we're at some point, I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the government is going to recognize that like Ontario, that we can't do this indefinitely, um, that, uh, you know, that these, these illnesses are, are worth trying to prevent. But presumably at some point, the government's going to enact a stricter lockdown, probably for at least seven weeks. And at the end of that, we'll be down to about 300 cases a day. So if you look at it on the grand scheme of these last four months, either way, you have a seven-week lockdown, if we had done it on February 8th, or I don't know if that's the exact date, but early February, um, or we do it now. And at the end of it, at the end of these seven weeks, we're going to be back on that roller coaster of up and down, maybe a fourth wave coming in the summer, depending on how how well the vaccines work on the variants. Um, and but or we could have done it back then and our lives would be infinitely better at this point you still have the seven week lockdown in either situation but in one case the result is so much better so we made this policy decision we we decided to denigrate covid zero as an option but i'll just point out that around the world it's the only policy plan that's actually worked like if you look where do you want to be 
You want to be Halifax. You don't want to be Calgary. You want to be Auckland. You don't want to be um, uh, Toronto. So, um, you know, we made these choices. Um, and, and in my mind, it's unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, I've got a you know viewer, for example, like Haas says COVID zero is a moral position, not a scientific one. Uh, I don't know about that. Like, it's a policy position. It's something to strive for. Um, and if you look at around the world, it's it's what's worked. Like, I'm always a big believer in you don't have to reinvent the wheel each time. Somebody had to be the first person to go for COVID zero is arguably China or Taiwan, probably. Um, but once somebody's figured it out, we should try and emulate that. Why wouldn't we want to emulate the successes? Like we do that with other things. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Keith is, is watching in and Keith says, I am a restaurant guy. Um, and he says, I actually think we're not doing enough. He says, as a business guy, I know we may not reopen uh, if we do. You know, in other words, if we don't change course here, which is an interesting position as well, to be sure. Uh, Doctor, we, we uh, I think both you and I, at least because I was paying attention to your Twitter profile, I know you appreciate the work that Robson Fletcher is doing at the CBC. Uh, the guy deserves some sort of a medal. Uh, a lot of people deserve medals at the end of this, and Robson would be among them, and I'd be happy to nominate him. Sam, can we just take a look at a couple of the graphics? And, Doctor, these are the ones, these obviously for the benefit of people that are, that are watching us on YouTube. People will be listening on the podcast. Uh, maybe you could just take us through your interpretation here as, as we thank you for your time uh, in closing your interpretation of some of these charts graphs numbers and, and what people should leave knowing i mean w- when it comes to the conversations folks are going to have with their neighbors with their family members uh want to be armed with evidence armed with the truth armed with good perspective why don't we start with that one graphic right there what are we seeing there the the new daily covid19 cases obviously a huge spike undeniable from march into april there yeah so um the, what you've highlighted here is the zero to 19. The, this is broken down in 20 year age uh, groups. And um, you can see that all of the, there's, there's only one of the five groups that um, has outdone its second wave. And that is the, the, the school age kids. Um, probably the reason why the school age kids peaked earlier in December was the closure of schools. Like it was all schools. Um, first, the, the, the grade seven to 12s around the province. And then later on the, the younger ones, um, we've decided not to do that this time. And uh, it's just something, a, a thought experiment for people to, uh, to contemplate why the what the differences are between this wave and the second wave as far as those numbers the other one i wanted to ask you about was the covid 19 patients in alberta hospitals um and we've touched on this earlier by taking a look at, at the statistics but the graph is, is interesting um as you can see here the different shades of of red here um hospitalized nine non-icu and and icu uh, now you did mention that deaths are down which is obviously an encouraging trend. Um, what's one thing that we can take away as non-medical professionals from that graph we've just taken a look at there? Yeah, I think the most important is comparing this wave to the, the second wave. Um, we announced our restrictions on December 8th, uh, December 7th, sorry, of the second wave. And our ICU cases and our hospitalization peaked about three weeks later, uh, ICU on December 28th at 151. So, we can presume, and it was a pretty steep curve all the way up to um, uh, just before then, steep curve for two weeks and then kind of flattened out to the peak. Um, so we can presume that 
when the government does enact those new restrictions, if and when, um, we can still anticipate another two to three weeks of rise before that slows down. And the same goes for hospitalizations. They're just they're just the lagging indicator, and they respond slowly to to new policy. And just to go back to the the restrictions, I think it's worth on harping because we're we're hearing from our leaders often. You know, Albertans need to do better. We need to you know toe the line. We need to follow the restrictions, and and if we do so, we're going to make a change. Well. That didn't work in the first wave. Personal responsibility didn't work in the first wave. We, we actually enacted strong policy there. Um, we, we heard personal responsibility for weeks and weeks going up to December 7th. That didn't work in the second wave. The only thing that's worked uh, in this province and, and arguably around the world is, is good strong policy. And it's kind of funny because at EmergeDoc, I never thought I'd be a policy wonk, but this is where you start to see how policy um, acts in real time. How, what other things can you say where the government does something and two weeks later you see an effect? So this is a really good way of, of judging the um, policy robustness of your, of, your, um, of your governing bodies. Yeah, I mean, an emergency doc may have not thought he'd become a policy wonk, but you also may not have thought that you'd become a, a social media advocate or you, you may not become the co-founder of, of a group like Mass for Canada. It's um, healthcare professionals, educators, uh, and many other people have been tapped on the shoulder, I think, to expand their involvement, their advocacy over this past year. And, and it's so greatly appreciated. Uh, just just in layperson's language to close here, doctor, um, as you look around and, and people are being encouraged to, to get back out and spend time outdoors and people are getting that fresh air and, and exercising outdoors as best they can. Some kids activities will continue on outdoors. As mentioned, restaurant patios uh, are open, different rules, depending on the jurisdiction of where people are listening to this from. Um, are, are you comfortable with all of that? Does that concern you can you know, the whole idea of the outborn uh, or the outdoor airborne kind of element of this being relatively negligible, though I hesitate to even say that people are led to believe that if they're outdoors and maintaining reasonable distance, they're probably going to be fine. Do you concur with that? Are you comfortable with what you're seeing? Yeah. So for the original variant, it was about 20 times difference, your risk of getting um, COVID outdoors for indoors. And that's really good. Like 20 times is a big difference. We don't know as much for the variants. We know Dr. Hinshaw has said there has been transmission of the variants outdoors. And my understanding was that's, you know, prolonged contact face to face. Um, would I go for a walk with a friend outside? Absolutely. If I wanted to feel safer, would I wear a mask? Absolutely. Um, because this is a, you know, an airborne spread disease, there are things you have to remember. It's ventilation. So that's why outdoors is so, so good. Um, uh, you have to be concerned about close contact. So the closer you are to someone, the, the worse it is. So distancing does matter. Um, so, so stay far apart, walk, a, you know, two meters apart. Um, masking still works. And, you know, most people can wear a, a simple mask uh, outside. No problem. If you're indoors, you probably want wanting to wear something that fits better. Uh, and prolonged periods. So you don't want to be, you know, talking face to face for a long time. Um, so you, you want to avoid those prolonged contacts. Um, but I think outdoors is something we should be absolutely supporting. Um, you saw the fiasco when, when uh, uh, Premier Ford tried to close down playgrounds. That's the, the wrong way to go. We need to celebrate our outdoors, but we still need to be smart and safe when we're interacting outdoors. Boys, Premier Ford in a tough one right now. Uh, Dr. Joe Vipon, an emergency doc out of Calgary, co-founder of Masks for Canada. You can follow him on Twitter at Joe Vipon MD. Um, can you call up Arlene Dickinson's tweet? We'll, we'll wrap with this to bring this full circle. So you've got one 
Dragon's Den alum, W. Brett Wilson, calling you out. He says you're an NDP supporter. He, he says that basically partisanship's getting in the way of your medical advice. And you bet him a thousand bucks you're going to be right. Arlene jumps in and says, I'll kick in 10K here. What did that mean to you? And and for the record, I'm not betting a thousand dollars. I'm not making money off of this. This is right. for, uh, to the food, food bank, bank. For a good to the cost. food bank. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, we I think to be honest with you, Ryan, I, I'm going to be a, a little sad and frank here. Advocacy is really hard. Yeah. Um, I've had lots of pushback. Um, I've had people try and um, and take me down and and and. I, I'm not fussed by, Brian, by Brett because, you know, he's inconsequential to me. It's other people that are trying to do this that is um, more worrisome to me. Um, stay tuned. I, I hope this, you know, this, this stuff doesn't actually um, pan out the way I, I fear it does. But, um, but this is a hard task to step up and push against the status quo, to push against a, a government that is obviously um, unhappy with people saying these kind of things. And, um, yeah, I just... Um, Doc, is there uh, something happening behind the scenes that, that you think people should no, know just, about? I, you know, everybody knows that um, that this is hard, right? Yeah. Like, advocates don't generally get a good ride. So, um, I uh, just just support your support the people who are trying to do right. That's all I'm going to say. Hundred <laughs> percent. And history will side with the advocates. Uh, I hope so. You know, and uh, we appreciate in the meantime all of your work on the front lines. Absolutely, literally, Doctor Joe Vipon. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you bet. Um, taking a look at our live chat here, and uh, obviously, many of you keenly paying attention to what the doctor's take is on things like uh, heading outdoors or implications for schools. Um, you know, and then some of you somewhat cynical about it. I, I, you know, I guess I'm never going to be the type of person that, um, I think will just, or I never want to be generally speaking, the type of person that just automatically dismisses people and that doesn't hear people out. I've prided myself. I built a career on being open-minded and hearing people out and, and, and being willing to challenge my preconceived notions. Um, when it comes to things like speaking with, with, uh, emergency room docs, uh, intensivists, surgeons, um, neurologists, respirologists, um, you know, I mean, infectious disease doctors, um, virologists, um, the, the brazen uh, ability of some people to believe that they are on equal footing with these type of experts to go toe to toe on interpreting statistics, on providing commentary on what's happening on the front lines. To me, it, it, it just, I am gobsmacked by some of the things I see. And so, you know, the nature with, with which some of you will dismiss the perspective of a doctor like Joe Vipond, who's on the front lines, uh, I, surpri- I suppose provides me with the license to equally, absolutely dismiss your dismissal. I look at some of these perspectives, W. Brett Wilson among them, and I wonder what's his end game? What's his end game? What would motivate him to step out and politicize uh, in partisan fashion to essentially call out the dogs on a doctor who's indicating grave concern uh, for the state of Alberta right now with regards to the spread of COVID-19? It just absolutely blows my mind. Talk at RyanJustperson.com is where you can chime in. Let us know how you're feeling about what you've seen. I know many of you will hear this later in the day or later in the week. 
You might take a few days to think about it. Uh, these types of things do not expire with regards to their relevance. If, if you hear this interview a week from when we did it live on April 26th, we still want to hear from you. And of course, you can always hit us up using the hashtag RealTalkRJ on Twitter. That hashtag is powered by the team at Park Power. Uh, for coming up on 10 years now, they've been on the internet, electricity, and natural gas file in Alberta, providing services, a commercial, residential, and of course, knocking 70 bucks off the first bill of anybody who signs up to take their business over there at parkpower.ca using the promo code 2021-RealTalk. If there's one person you follow on your social media this week, I mean, aside from our new producer, Sarah Hoyles on Twitter at Sarah Hoyles, Sarah with an H, make sure you follow Park Power. They've got great tips on energy efficiency and, and their staff just does an all around great job. Again, you can find them on social media. A big shout out to the teams at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. Uh, just over the course of this weekend, I saw one of those uh, G Grand Cherokee, the SRTs, the ones that just bark when you punch. Oh my goodness. If you're looking for any, any, any member of the Jeep lineup, and in particular, one of those unbelievable Grand Cherokee SRTs, you're not going to find a better selection than you will at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Make sure you check them out online. They have staff that can help you with the live chat there, or you can go see them in person. They're proud of the COVID-19 measures that they've taken at both of their locations. We're going to be talking to a, a former volunteer at an Alberta Gay Straight Alliance in just a moment. Uh, a remarkable opportunity to get Maria Delu on the record. Some things she says she wanted to talk to me about a couple of years ago when we first did an interview. Uh, she couldn't at that time. We're going to find out what's changed. But first, speaking of um, Sarah Hoyle, she's taking a look at what's going on this morning, uh, including here a quick look at the headlines. India has more than 350,000 new COVID-19 cases. Man. They're asking for international help. Actually, doctors have taken to social media making pleas for oxygen from the international community. Closer to home, a 13-year-old is one of the youngest Canadians to die from COVID. Her name was Emily Victoria Viegas, and she died on April 22nd in Brampton, Ontario. And as was mentioned, uh, Wood Buffalo region in northern Alberta has declared a state of local emergency as COVID-19 cases are spiking. Uh, in Edmonton, the Edmonton Public School Board has released a statement on the hate-filled attack on the Black Roslyn School student on April 16th. The name of the youth who actually inflicted the attack have been provided to the Edmonton Police Service. And they say in the statement that it's to support a criminal investigation. All of those students that are part of the public school board will be uh, have been re recommended for expulsion, and two of the youth are not part of those uh, of that school board. So, what their consequences will be remains to be seen. And the Oscars, the big, the biggie yeah. of the film industry awards. No Man Land took home three of those big, big awards, including Best Director. And uh, that director is the first woman of color to ever win the award. And Anthony Hopkins took home Best Actor. Many feel that uh, maybe he didn't deserve it. Maybe it should have gone to the late Chadwick Bosman, who deserved the award for his role in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Wow. Yeah, big moment for Chloe Zhao uh, winning that Best Director Award. Mm -hmm. Did you watch the Academy Awards? I, I, I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to lie to you. I watched like four minutes. Yeah, I did. Totally yeah. different. It's Bit a... 
It's, it was very different. It was very, very different. Um, I mean, it was even different for me watching it because I was over Zoom with the, the folks that I've been watching. We always have an Oscar party. And so, yeah, it was, I mean, they tried. They really tried to make it uh, something. <laughs> I don't know that it actually worked. <laughs> yeah, but people still got to have the Academy Awards. So maybe that's yeah. what they care about most. But yeah, it's been interesting seeing how the different award shows approach it. You know, Golden Globes and the Emmys. The Emmys was just basically Shits Creek time and time and time again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was unbelievable. Which, you know. Yeah. Go Canada. Not a bad thing. Go Canada. <laughs> Great show. Um, in response to our conversation with Dr. Joe Vipon, Marie says, you know, the pressure that people receive by speaking out is disgusting. And, and sometimes it can come from their employer, which is true. Um, we've had people that have reached out and done interviews on this show that have followed up and said, would you like They didn't anticipate the impact uh, that their testimony or that their opinion uh, may have, you know, Adventure Cycling says, you know, geez, these people that feel like that they're on the same level of doctors, you know, he says they have a problem regulating their brains. Uh, another says, you know, uh, this is Shalane, my pharmacist friend, she says, was on the news over the weekend calling out gaps in vaccine deliveries, uh, deliveries versus administered. And I know he was very nervous about pushback uh, from his employer. Others say, you know, this is wig with elites with money have nothing to worry about when it comes to COVID-19 and should sit their opinions out of this if they don't want to help that from wig with keep the comments coming we'll be keeping an eye on it i first talked to maria delu uh about two years ago uh, i was hosting a radio show and and maria joined me on the record but relatively anonymously uh, we didn't use her last name Actually, as a matter of fact, Maria, I'm not even sure. Can you remind me? Did I don't even know if we used your first name when we spoke a couple of years ago. Do you remember if we did or not? Yes, we did. We used your first name. Uh, you were joining me to talk about your involvement, your volunteer involvement with, with a gay straight alliance in Alberta. Welcome back. Uh, I suppose here making your Real Talk debut, though, you followed up a couple of years after the fact. I was delighted to hear from you. Uh, what's changed? I mean, people aren't let's let's bring people up to speed here on the story and, and what's changed from two years ago to this morning here live on the show. Um, well, I guess uh, what's changed is that I feel um, the impact of coming forward completely uh, and telling all of the details of the story um, don't. Uh, it doesn't have the potential to hurt uh, my GSA kids like it did two years ago. So uh, I do think that it's an important story to tell. And I'm really grateful that you allowed me to come on to tell it. So when we spoke uh, out of an abundance of caution uh, and a sense of responsibility a couple of years ago, you were concerned that the school might be identified, um, the school where you were volunteering. Um, you were concerned that students might be identified. And obviously, we wanted to keep that private. That's that's under the spirit of what gay straight alliances are, are all about. Here's how we cut to the chase. And here's how we remind people who you are and what your story is about. Correct me at any point if I'm inaccurate here. You are the GSA volunteer who was alleged to have taken students without their permission, either on a field trip or to your personal residence. Uh, your, your testimony uh, was, you believe, misrepresented and weaponized, included in an affidavit uh, when John Carpe and the team at the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms sued the Alberta government. Is that all accurate? Yes, that's correct. Um, when I first came on your show, uh, we had said that, you know, I believe that I was the person that these politicians were referring to, that the newspapers were referring to. And that's not actually true. I didn't believe it. I knew it uh, because 
the truth is, is that my name and photograph are in the affidavit. It's absolutely me. Uh, how did this come about? Can you can you sort of tell us the, the background story like you told me before to get people up to speed on what happened, what the truth is and why this matters, why you're here speaking today? Well, I started volunteering with my local high school GSA a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, in that time, I developed relationships with the kids in the GSA. And sometimes we did off-campus activities. Uh, those activities always included parental permission. I would never take a student off-campus without their parents' permission. I'm a parent myself. Um, and uh, throughout the course of this, I wound up giving a presentation at a conference to talk about my volunteer work. And a man attended the conference, recorded the presentation, and then he uh, filed an affidavit. And in the affidavit, he mentioned the activities off campus that I had been uh, participating in, but he didn't mention that I had always had parental permission for them. Um, and that was part of my presentation at the conference. So he was aware that I had parents' permission for that. Um, he, he didn't claim in the affidavit that I didn't have permission, uh, but the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedom did make that claim in a filed brief with the court. And I didn't find out about the affidavit or the brief until after the particular hearing when it was relevant. But when I did find out about it, uh, I immediately contacted uh, anyone that I could think of who could kind of help me set the record straight. And I did speak with a lawyer as well. And it was kind of just in general recommended that because it wasn't very out there that I not make a big deal of it because uh, it, the court had uh, in some way ruled that that particular piece of evidence wasn't relevant to the case. So it wasn't going to impact the court case. And so uh, I, I took my, my lawyer's advice and I decided to just simply move on. Um, but because the story had been picked up by the media, um, eventually Jason Kenney mentioned the story uh, in his national interview with Charles Adler. And it, at that point, I realized that um, I really had to weigh the harm between uh, talking about what was really happening um, and doing everything that I could to continue protecting uh, the kids in the GSA that I've been volunteering at. Um, it was actually one of the most difficult decisions that I'd ever made to come forward and talk about it because I really didn't know if I was making the right decision. But, you know, I think that everyone... Uh, everyone did the best that they could with the limited uh, resources that we had at the time. How would you describe the the context or the tone of the commentary, uh, most especially by Jason Kenney at that time, uh, leader of the official opposition, uh, leader of the United Conservative Party? This was shortly. This was a couple of weeks before the provincial election uh, mm -hmm. back in 2019. How would you suggest your story was portrayed and why do you think the premier invoked the story? Well, I think that it was an easy story to weaponize after it had gone through all of the filters of it being um, changed from, you know, volunteer with a high school doing off-campus activities with parental permission to uh, facilitator who doesn't have children at the school, isn't a teacher, is taking kids without parental permission to her home, driving them to other towns. You know, when, when the story got to that point, uh, it, it had been weaponized, and I think that uh, it was being invoked as a way of demonstrating that uh, Bill 24, which had given students privacy in GSAs, um, was 
providing a cover for what could be considered predatory behavior. Uh, and that really just is not the case at all. So why did you want to follow up? Why did you want to be here today? Uh, well, because circumstances have changed, all of the kids that were in the GSA that I volunteered at have graduated now. They're all adults. So there's that layer of protection there. Um, but the biggest reason that I wanted to come and talk to you uh, is because even though I haven't been volunteering with a GSA uh, in the past while, uh, we're over a year into COVID and most schools are not doing extracurricular activities. And some of them may be doing Zoom meets for their GSAs, but I get the distinct impression that that GSAs just aren't happening right now. And they haven't been happening for over a year. And I am very concerned about these kids who need GSAs for connection and they're not getting it. I'm worried that because they've gone the last year without that resource, that you know they could be in danger. Maria, what what sort of put GSAs and and your volunteer service on your radar in the first place? What drew you to this involvement? Uh, well, it was it was many years ago. I heard a story about a girl. Uh, her name was Leela, and uh, when Leela's parents found out that she was transgender, uh, their reaction to that news was to pull her from school and to isolate her and to do everything they could to make her live as a boy. Um, and uh, Leela uh, unfortunately did not survive that treatment. Um, and when I heard the story, I was very moved by it. Um, I've never forgotten her uh, because I, it, my heart just broke at the thought of how isolated and alone she must have felt. And I never wanted another kid to feel that way. Um, so I reached out to the local high school to see if they had a GSA and if I could be involved in it in any way, because um, if, if I'm here for any reason, I've, I've realized that uh, it's because I really, really care for LGBTQ youth. Um, it's, it's my purpose for being here. I love them, even the ones that I haven't met. And uh, it's our job as a society to make sure that they feel loved and connected and that they make it to adulthood because um, no community catches their people better than the LGBTQ community, but they can't do that if kids don't survive to adulthood. And so uh, I, I just decided that it was my mission to make sure as many of them uh, made it as possible. And so I really wanted to just be that person who maybe sparks a little bit of hope, uh, tells them, you know, I'm really glad that they're here and I want them to stay. Maria, um, first of all, that's unbelievable. Uh, sometimes as an interview, I, I, I have to remind myself that, that the human angle of an interview is so important when somebody just says something like you just did and I just blaze through to the next question. Sometimes I want to take a moment to reflect um, and just recognize I mean, when we talk about engaged citizens, we're going to be getting to our uh, the results of our most recent Real Talk question of the week this past week. And we asked people how they had been moved or inspired or impacted by the tragic death of a guy by the name of Rob White, who drowned uh, or is presumed drowned in the North Saskatchewan River um, after rescuing a, a complete stranger's dog. And, and people like poured out their hearts and shared with us about why they show love to total strangers and why they uh, perpetuate random acts of kindness. And, and some people told us they feel isolated and alone 
as part of the responses. And we'll be getting into these later into today. But I, I, I read them this morning, uh, the sort of curated data. And, and, I, and I felt like approaching this show in a, in a sense, I've used the word community probably 10 times already because that's what I took from it. Um, whether it's this audience or, or whether it's us as a province or us as a nation, people have their interpretations or their definitions of community. And I think it's so admirable what, what prompted you to get involved and the fact that you decided to volunteer your time. You're a mom. You have a job. You have a million things that are pulling on you, I'm sure. Uh, but you made time for this. Now, to be clear here. I'm not asking you to compromise uh, anybody's privacy. I'm not asking you to, to break through that wall or tell any individual's story. But as part of the, the inaccurate portrayal of gay-straight alliances, oftentimes people would refer to them as sex clubs, right? They'd, the gay-straight alliance as though it was, uh, pardon the crude nature of my comment, but some sort of an orgy. Um, mm. can, can you tell us about what actually happened at the GSA and the gatherings and, and, and what people would take from them and, and how they would play an important role in, in young, young adults' lives? Well, from the perspective of a mom and an adult, uh, most of the time for me, they were really boring. <laughs> um, the idea of a sex club is kind of hilarious to me because most of the time I found myself sitting through conversations about anime and Transformers and cosplay and things like that. Um, but interspersed among all of that, uh, there were some really sacred moments that occurred at GSA. Um, and I would never compromise someone's uh, identity, but you know, one particular story that I do love to tell is about a student who started coming to GSA. And a couple of weeks after they started coming, they actually came out for the very first time to all of us. And that was a really wonderful moment. But it was about a year later where we were having a very casual meeting and they started talking. We, we were talking, you know, about uh, their relationships with their parents. And uh, this student had come out to their parents a couple of weeks after they had come out to the GSA and uh, everything had gone swimmingly. They had very supportive parents. It was very, very great uh, result for them. Um, but during this particular conversation, uh, they kind of piped up in the middle of it and they said, you know, I just wish that my parents had explained to me what gay was. And I had a moment where <laughs> I realized that there was so much angst involved in their coming out story that really didn't need to be there, you know, because they had supportive parents, but they didn't know that their parents were going to be supportive. They had hope, obviously, because they did come out. Um, but so much of the anxiety there could have been mitigated, I think, with their parents taking a more proactive approach. So, you know, one of, one of the things that I became really privy to being involved in GSA was what that like the perspective of the kids and particularly uh, what it was like their relationship to their parents and what they wanted their parents to know. Hmm. Now your, your kids are little, right? Relatively young. They're eight and 10 now. Oh, eight they and were 10. little okay. when we were going. Yeah. yeah. So how, how, um, I mean, I would imagine that your experience with, uh, the GSA and obviously the, the, the probably I would imagine uh, almost nonstop thought that that went into your experience after the fact, considering the high profile nature of how your story was was you believe weaponized and, 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 and ultimately used to to attack the very institution that you were supporting. Um, mm -hmm. How did your how did your involvement change your approach to parenting, if at all? Uh, I don't know that 
that it it changed my approach, but it certainly changed um, what I would say to other parents. Um, Cause I, I mean, I've always been very affirming with my kids. Uh, and so like, I don't, if either of my children are LGBTQ in any way, I don't know that they will have a coming out moment. Cause it's just kind of, you know, it's, it's not a thing in our house, but um, you know, if I, if I could tell uh, parents, especially parents of teens and preteens, anything, um, especially the parents who, so when, when Bill 24 was uh, controversial in Alberta, you know, there were a lot of people who were on the side of, yes, the privacy for GSAs is really important. We need to keep Bill 24, you know. And then there were people on the side of, um, you know, this is, it's not privacy, it's secrecy, and this is wrong. This shouldn't be there. And I think that there were a whole lot of parents who fell right in the middle. Um, and, you know, these are parents... Uh, who would be affirming of their kids and wouldn't have a problem if it turned out that their kids were LGBTQ+. Um, but they still didn't agree with Bill 24 because they felt like it put a barrier between them and their children. And I think what I would say to those parents is having been in the room during so many of those sacred moments and having been one of the first adults that you know your kids may have come out to, um, they really want you to know like this it's not about secrecy it's about privacy and they don't even really want it to be private if it doesn't have to be um you know there's ways there's conversations that you can have with your kids whether you suspect that they may be lgbtq or not where you can just straight up tell them that hey you know if if you maybe feel like you're attracted to the same gender or maybe you've got some gender creative things going on, you know, if you feel like you're not really fitting into society's boxes, you can tell me that, you know, you can, you can kind of head that off at the pass and let your kids know that you are a safe person before you think that they may need to know that um, because it can save them a lot of angst. Uh, and if that's the case, then you don't really need to worry about, you know, secrecy or privacy or Bill 24 regarding GSAs because you have that connection with your kid already. They're really craving that from you. You know, we like we did have kids who came to GSA who their parents weren't safe, uh, but not a lot. Most of the kids that were in uh, GSA, the one that I volunteered in, had very supportive parents, um, but they didn't necessarily know that before they came out to them. And so mm. I think if you really want, you know, your kids are always going to need peer connection and they'll get that from GSAs, but it's really important that they have that connection with you too, and you can make that happen for them. Um, Maria, I want to read uh, some of the comments here on our live chat. People are really connecting with this story um, and with your story in particular. Sandra just says, what a what a hero this young lady is. Uh, Tracy says, my amazing niece just came out um, that she identifies as a woman. She had to move across the country, though, to get away from her dad before she could do it. And Tracy says, I'm so happy that she can finally be her real, true self. Uh, Lynn is watching this morning and says, thank you for your passion. I'm the proud parent of a 15 year old trans boy. He transitioned six years ago. Um, Kaylin's watching in from Vancouver today, says it broke my heart when GSAs are being banned from Catholic schools in Edmonton. They're such important, safe spaces. Uh, Mark's watching in from Utah this morning, says, I'm so happy that my grade 10 son is always looking out for fellow classmates, kind and inclusive. Mark says it wasn't necessarily deliberate parenting, uh, but he's turned out to be a thoughtful young man. 
Uh, we have a lot of others uh, pointing out, I mean, just the reality. Lynn goes on to say, by the way, many of the young people I talk to have not shared gender identity or sexual orientation with their parents. We just talk about their journey and where they're at. Um, Air I said, Straya says, unfortunately, even when the parents are supportive, you know, for, for a lot of people, uh, other factors uh, come into play. And, um, you know, it goes on to say a lot of people still have residual worry that talking to their kids about LGBTQ plus issues will make the kid gay. Some random guy says, my dad was always worried if he ever explained what gay meant to me, it would make me gay. Um, you know, I mean, this is one of the common pushbacks. I mean, I worked at a conservative radio station for a lot of years, and I can tell you when we talked about GSAs on the text line, a lot of people believe that they're they're indoctrination clubs, that they're propaganda clubs. I mean, it like people either are or they aren't, you know, it's not especially in, you know, today's political climate. Nobody would choose that. Like I, I often uh, am like people wonder if I might be uh, uh, trans or gay because I'm so passionate about this. And my response is always that I would never pass up that kind of an opportunity to annoy my parents. But um, no, like it, I mean, even, even if attending GSA did make someone gay, that's fine. Being gay is wonderful. You know? So what if it it makes them trans? It, It doesn't, but if it did, being trans is wonderful. These kids aren't broken. There's nothing wrong with them. You know, they're wonderful people. It's why I want them to stick around. I you bet know, you uh, I bet you that there's going to be young kids. As a matter of fact, I guarantee it. Uh, there's going to be young kids that are that are somewhere on their journey. Maybe maybe they don't quite know where yet, but they know they're on a journey. Um, there are going to be kids that are beautiful and wonderful that are LGBTQ to S plus that are watching or that are going to hear this podcast because uh, I know it's going to make the rounds. Uh, Maria, what's your message to them in particular? I, I really just want them to know that uh, that I love them and that there are people out there who love them, even having never met them. Uh, their community is waiting for them. And uh, when they get to adulthood, they they will be caught by their community. They can they can rely on them. And in the meantime, you know, I care very deeply for them. And I know a lot of people who care very deeply for them. And I really hope that they hear that hmm. today to bring the story full circle. Uh, do you have any planned action or does the story continue with regards to to how you believe that that your testimony that your account of your experience with the gsa was misrepresented and and misportrayed um or have you put that to bed well i don't know that i will pursue that particular line any further um i think that i've had the opportunity to come forward and tell the truth uh you know i i do hope that as the world eventually goes back to normal, that I can start volunteering with GSA again because those kids mean a lot to me. And it's uh, really important that they stick around. So, yeah. Well, let me tell you, I- I'm so grateful that you followed back up with the show and and reintroduced yourself, so to speak. And, and here we have an entirely new audience. Um, and, and some people are hearing your message for the very first time and you've made a big impact on them. And I'm grateful for that, Maria. And I'm proud to call you a friend. Thanks for doing this. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You got it. That's uh, Maria DeLue, uh, a former volunteer at a Gay Straight Alliance uh, at a school here in Alberta. She wanted to set the record straight uh, on the record, and I'm grateful that she did. Ashley says, you know, my boys are three and six, and we've explained what gay is in an age-appropriate way to them uh, since they were tiny. Love is love, period. Um, 
<laughs> Ashley says my six-year-old loves to watch Drag Race with me. There you go. Uh, good taste in TV shows. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's I remember even uh, Carrie and I, my wife, Carrie and I, our little guy, Wyatt, uh, I think it was when's pride. It's usually like in June. And I think so, you know, he was born in July. So he would have been like eight, 11 months old, approximately when he attended his first pride. Um, and, and he had the, uh, you know, the earphones on because, you know, I'm not sure if you heard or not, but people actually celebrate a tiny bit during pride and have a little bit of fun. And, and oftentimes it's weird with Wyatt's parents. We sometimes we find ourselves in the middle of the action, you guys. And so, so Wyatt was in the middle of the action and, um, I tweeted a photo of it, one of my favorite photos. Someone actually took it for us um, behind, and there's the three of us, and Wyatt's waving this little flag at 11 months old, and there's there's an Edmonton fire truck that's going by with a big pride flag on it and wonderful supportive comments, and then the odd one. There's always going to be the odd comment, right, about, about what I'm subjecting, the perversion I'm subjecting my son to, and those types of comments have only fueled my efforts to continue to seek the truth in these conversations and, and continue to reiterate uh, how valued and how loved uh, members of our LGBTQ2S plus community are uh, to greater society. And so I'm so grateful for Maria's service there. I'm grateful for, for people uh, that, are, that are telling us how you've approached this with your family. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's really great to see some of you sharing your stories on, um, I mean, what about this? Uh, you know, my parents are in their 80s, says a viewer. They celebrate their trans grandson and accept him for who he is. And I'm so proud of them, um, which is amazing. So April says <laughs> playing rugby since I was 15 was kind of like being in a GSA growing up, to be honest, which is an amazing <laughs> comment and probably true. Uh, Sarah Hoyle. So there we go. <laughs> this uh, are you are you getting a, a sense of what the live chat brings to the table, brings to the conversation? It's kind of like as best we can in a pandemic, having a studio audience with, with all with their own ability to be in touch with us directly. Right. I love that idea that it's yeah, it's a, our live studio audience. Yeah, this was from everywhere. Our live studio audience from wherever. And I love when people let us know where they're checking in from as well. Mm. Dr. Wade Kelly was checking in the other day, letting us know he's tuning in from Australia. And and um, we actually just did a Webstat exercise, which was really neat over the weekend, taking a look at the countries that hit our website and how many unique views and all the stuff that our sponsors and partners care about. And it was really neat to see more than 60 countries are engaging with our website all the time, which is very, very cool. So we're grateful. Yeah, we talk a lot about Alberta. And of course, we talk a lot about Canada, but we're so grateful for our international audience and what you bring to the mix. We're going to be talking to a couple of COVID survivors, just happen to be a mother daughter, just happen to both of them, as a matter of fact, be doctors. Uh, they're going to be joining us in about five minutes time. Now is a great time to remind you about our partnership with the team at Local Waste Services. Every Friday, Local Waste presents Trash Talk, which is your chance uh, to get whatever you need off your chest. A lot of times it's political, but a lot of times it's not. And we've appreciated gripes that have been submitted to talk at ryanjesperson.com about things like like traffic circles, um, raisins and cinnamon buns. As we get to know Sarah Hoyles better, we'll find out how she feels about things like like raisins and how to load a dishwasher. And Sam Brooks and I are not... All the contentious issues. All yeah. the contentious issues. Sam I don't and I are, know if you want me to weigh in on the dishwasher one because oh, it might... Do you disagree with me? Um... 
yes. Okay. All right. Well, I'm obviously, the good news is I'm in a room full of people that are willing to learn and I'm happy to, oh. and, I'm, and I'm happy to continue to teach you both about the right way to load a That's dishwasher. so thoughtful of you, Ryan. I wonder if in Sarah's first week as producer, she will be submitting trash talk emails for me to read. <laughs> that might be the way that it goes. Local waste. You know what? They're all about, get this, their core values include no BS. Literally, it says no BS on the big thing that's framed in the office. And that includes them uh, reiterating to you that air is free, but expensive to waste. If you're a small business owner that's playing for uh, that's paying for waste disposal, why do you have the big bin if you're not using it? The company's benefiting, not you. Local Waste grows with your business. Give them a shout today. Find all the contact information. Ask for Mikel via localwaste.ca. Also wanted to remind you that Westworld Computers is ready to pump up your workouts and your backyard barbecue season with the Sounds of Spring audio promotion. Your chance to save up to 60% off audio products and brands like Beats, Ultimate Ears, JBL, and more. Plus, Westworld is proud to carry Sonos. That's the whole home Wi-Fi audio system. It's so badass. They're now offering Sonos portable speakers. You can enjoy music, voice control, multi-room listening at home on Wi-Fi, plus Bluetooth streaming, all-day battery life and waterproof durability. And up till the end of this month, so you got this week, Westworld is offering 12 months, no payments, no interest on any Sonos orders. Before we check in um, with our next guest, they're they're both COVID survivors, uh, just remarkable stories to share. We wanted to touch on um, obviously a story that's that's uh, quite troubling and that's making news uh, most certainly over the weekend as it's turned out that that a young man uh, 14 years of age and 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 we're going to use his first name they're referring to him as Pazzo he's a student at a school here in Edmonton and and um, we're going to show you a very brief video and I want to say this uh, in full disclosure to this audience we're having mixed feelings about showing this video uh, because it's really tough to watch um, and we can debate whether or not it's appropriate to show this video but 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 we're going to show it by way of an Instagram account that I think is really important that you follow because they're doing great advocacy work um, Sam why don't we go ahead and, and take a look at this video this is what we're talking about uh, nothing shy of a schoolyard beating uh, and you can find it under the Instagram account black Alberta underscore this is a 14-year-old boy by the name of Pazzo that's uh, being beaten by a group of boys, obviously. Uh, his family, you can see he's being placed in a chokehold. He's being thrown around uh, by a group of boys. It's been confirmed that some of them not even students at the school. Sam, thanks very much here. Police uh, have confirmed that they're investigating um, after this student uh, at Rossland School was subjected to this beating. The story includes, uh, and there's evidence on the video there, um, that uh, at least one of the young men that were beating this boy uh, was it was using the N-word. Uh, it appears to be a racially motivated attack, and um, his family speaking out now, along with advocates on their behalf, uh, demanding action from both the Edmonton police and the school board um sarah's been keeping an eye on this story although i think that your body language right now probably says more than anything you've been covering your face uh as you've been watching that video it's it's, it's a tough one to watch um fatima one of our viewers earlier today um said and i think she's bang on the, the family is exhausted she had a chance to talk yeah. to them over the weekend she says there's no way that they should have to advocate for justice to be done here yeah i mean i think when we we talk about you know what what was going on there the fact that the n-word was used and uh just looking at the the makeup of of the group of people that were inflicting that harm i mean racially motivated um it's a hate 
it's hate filled. So you've been t- keeping an eye on some of the statements that have been issued here. Um, Edmonton's mayor, I know, has, has spoken out on this, as yep. you would expect. Um, this isn't the type of story that that the school board or the police yeah. or the mayor can sit on or, or not comment on. So uh, for those that haven't uh, been paying close attention to this, what do we need to know? I mean, who's on the record saying what right now? Well, actually, the three, uh, the, the school board, uh, the superintendent, Daryl Robertson, he actually put out a statement. And in it, he said that he met with Trish Estabrooks, the board chair of the Edmonton Public Schools, along with Mayor Don Iveson, and they all spoke with the family and the student that uh, had this vicious, vicious attack. So, and they've all said, you know, this is, this will not be tolerated. They've passed on the names of the students um, from Roslyn School. As you mentioned, there are two individuals that were involved uh, in, in the attack that were not at Roslyn. So, it remains to be seen what's going to be done and what the consequences are going to be, although um, expulsion is, according to the Education Act, is what the statement says, recommended for expulsion in accordance with the Education Act. Yeah, no, no. Um Pazzo and his family have told reporters that are covering this story that that they he, I mean, first of all, he recognized some of the teens attacking him as fellow students from his school. And, and it's believed that that either they or others are friends of a student that was expelled um, for threatening Pazzo back in November of 2020. So it sounds like it's been an ongoing story, which uh, you can imagine um, has been distressing for both him and for his family here. He said. Uh, to reporters over the weekend, quote, uh, this made me afraid to wear my own skin. Um, It's important to point out that not only was he beaten with the uh, video posted to social media, he did suffer a concussion bruising through his body. Uh, He was hospitalized. Um, Edmonton's police service EPS saying in a statement that his family went to the Northeast Division to report an incident that day. Um, police saying they advised the family to take the teen to hospital for treatment, call the complaint line so an officer could be dispatched. Um, Pazzo alleges that an Edmonton police officer tried to get him to admit that he instigated the assault. So uh, this is a story that, that, that uh, you know, is writing itself as we speak. Andrew Parker, who is on our show during Black History Month, you probably remember AGP. What a beauty. Uh, he joined us as part of that uh, roundtable for Black History Month. That was just uh, I mean, you remember Eric Dormand was on that and Sem Hart to cast. If you missed it, you have to watch it. I mean, it was just such a great hour. You can find it where you get our podcasts and, of course, on our YouTube channel as well. Um, Andrew is co-founder of the Black Teachers Association of Alberta, and he's gone on the record um, telling CTV News um, that he's spoken with many community members, says he spoke with Pazzo's mom, and he said that the Association and uh, the black community in Edmonton is mobilized to ensure that the family is getting answers. He says, we want this to be called, uh, said Andrew Parker, we want it to be called what it is. This is a jumping of a black boy based on his race. We're hoping that people in law enforcement, as well as in education, will address this effectively. If they do not, the community is ready to mobilize and move forward with our own plan of action. Enough is enough. We'd like some effective change. That from Andrew Parker, uh, speaking candidly, um, co-founder of the Black Teachers Association of Alberta, an Edmonton teacher himself, obviously. You can let us know what you think about this. The hashtag RealTalkRJ is is what we're keeping an eye on. And, and of course, you can send us an email anytime to talk at RyanJesperson.com. Um, people here are wondering, you know, I mean, they're, they're saying, uh, you know, Hi- Helen says Edmonton Catholic Board. The other two students were from Edmonton Catholics Division also released a statement aligned with that of Edmonton Public Schools, um, giving the names of those two students to Edmonton Police Service. Um, 
How about this Spartan Canuck on the live chat says, I'm remembering how when I was a kid, we would speak so much in class. We'd learn about how diverse Canada was. Hmm. And then at recess, a bunch of the kids would go outside and tell racist jokes. Um, Yeah, this is tough to read. Um, A a lot of you, some of you sharing your own personal stories. And, uh, you know, Patrick says, I got attacked by two 13 year olds last year. They broke my orbital socket with either a rock or a skateboard. Jeez, turns out their dad is known for assault. This is definitely learned behavior. Kim says school administrators are far too slow to react to bullying. They act like their hands are tied, so they can't move quickly. They don't protect victims soon enough. That from Ken. And Greg says the sad thing is that this likely was not the first time that that his body has been attacked. Uh, Maybe not to this extent, but probably not the first time. Ash says I hadn't seen the video. I'm sick to my stomach watching it. Two Beaver says kids learn this stuff at the dinner table. A lot of the time, Jody says it breaks my heart. Yeah, I mean, you know, people are saying when I see his neck being wrenched like that, it just makes me sick. It makes me infuri- it makes me furious, as a matter of fact. Um, Heidi says I can't even watch that the same age as my youngest. It breaks my heart. It makes me cry to even to even listen to that beating. We'll keep you posted as that story develops. Uh, and of course, we'll bring you continued coverage of it. That's a story. It doesn't matter if that's in Edmonton or Toronto or or, you know, Louisiana or Frankfurt, Germany. That's a story that should be of concern to everybody. And our thoughts are with that young man, 14 years of age and his family, of course. We have oftentimes audience members reach out with, with stories that they suspect may resonate with this audience. And uh, in just a second, um, we're going to be getting into an interview with a mother daughter uh, duo that both survived COVID-19. That's coming up in just a moment. Um, this is a story you're going to want to listen to because uh, I think that it flies in the face of a lot of the narrative that we see about the impact of COVID in our communities, right? When people start talking about the average age of death or comorbidities, we ignore the real life stories, the reality that is COVID-19. And we're going to get that uh, sense as, as a matter of fact, right now. And, and, and I'm, and I'm really grateful that these two have agreed to join us. Uh, Dr. Olga Kovalchuk is a professor and board of governors, research chair, uh, health and disease at the university of Lethbridge an internationally renowned leader um, uh, when it comes to uh, radiation biology and oncology. Uh, she studies mechanisms of disease and quite frankly, many things that I'm not smart enough to pronounce. And so we're going to ask her to get into that in just a moment. Um, meantime, uh, Dr. Anna, Anna, can you pronounce your last name for me so I don't butcher it? Uh, it's Fieselier. Fieselier. Dr. Anna Fieselier, I'm so grateful you're here, has received a bachelor's, master's, and doctorate in neuroscience from the University of Lethbridge. She's currently completing a medical degree um, at the University of Calgary, aspiring to be a family physician and a clinical researcher. To the both of you, thank you for joining us here on the show and welcome. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Kovalchuk, it was you that first reached out um, with a story that's a compelling one, no matter which way you slice it. Uh, Your family, it sounds like three generations worth uh, impacted by COVID-19. And and we're talking recently. Can you take us into Mm -hmm. your story? Yes, actually, uh, the the story goes this way. The colleague of mine, and uh, she's a physician herself, she informed me about the, the real need to spread the word. 
And, you know, we were chatting with her and she said, you know what, it would be really important to spread the word to actually talk about patient from the standpoint of patient's perspective. And I thought, yeah, we definitely should do it because there is so much at this day and age of misconception and misinformation going on about COVID. And you probably have heard every possible ridiculous theory that piles up. And then... Yes, indeed. We all, the entire family of five, we all had it in November. And if I were to sum it up in three words or in very few words, I'd say it was close to three weeks out of my life, like completely. Anna, uh, you yourself, uh, a member of the family, obviously, that that, that contracted this uh, back in November. Um, how would you describe uh, the toll that it took on, on you personally? And what did you see with regards to the impact of COVID-19 on your beloved family members? Uh, I mean, to put it in collo- colloquial terms, it really sucked. Hmm. It was essentially like two, three weeks of, um, of like the acute illness phase where of course, you know, everyone was varying degrees of sick. I was, you know, worrying about my older family members having to like check their oxygen saturations every day to make sure that nobody was, you know, in the danger zone. And then after we'd gotten to that, let's say 21 days of that initial illness, was the fun post-COVID side effects, such as two months worth of brain fog that followed, which kind of impacted learning a bit. It was a it was a struggle. It was honestly a struggle. Does that experience, uh, Olga? Does that sort of match the description of the toll that it took on you, or did you have a different experience? You know, on me personally, it took a huge toll. Starting from, you know, it was a lot of rethinking of a lot of things that went along with the whole experience. Because for me, I have never in my life imagined that I will end up on oxygen. Like, really, never, ever, ever. I thought, well, okay, it's a very serious illness. We take every step to protect ourselves from it. We really wear extremely careful plus we exercise we eat well we really we followed the research on COVID we read up a lot of articles that were coming up and you know about preventative strategy you know all sorts of things all the bells and whistles that you know we can do because of the research we do and then to one good day I realized that I feel so sick I have never been that sick in my entire life honest to God and then yes there is this brain fog, you you feel like really a truck rolled over you. I had two ER visits uh, because at one point I thought I have pulmonary embolism and thank God it was not just pneumonia. So, and then yes, I ended up on oxygen. And it was just several weeks ago that my mom was talking to a family doctor, kind of doing the retrospective sort of analysis of what happened. And it was a very interesting thing. Her family doctor said, I'm really so happy that, you know, everything is almost behind for you. Because at one point, do you even realize that, kind of, you know, quote unquote, that we were very close to losing you? Like, honestly, at one point, I thought we we're going to lose my mom. Hmm. How, was, is your, how, how, is, how is your mom doing right now? 
Uh, she is much better, thank God. So she uh, she probably still has, we still have to look into her lungs because, you know, if you have 50% of your lungs affected by virus, by this viral pneumonia, in a 75-year, 74-year-old, uh, it doesn't go away like this, right? So there will still need to be some work to be done. We really hope that no scarring will be left behind, but she's essentially getting back on track, but she still has lots of fatigue. It definitely set her back. It definitely did. It was a huge setback for mom. Anna, we when we talk, we were talking to Dr. Joe Vipon, an emergency doc out of Calgary, just about an hour ago, uh, and and he was talking about long COVID and some of the numbers that that researchers or healthcare professionals are starting to forecast um, with regards to who may experience longer term effects of this. Are are you? I mean, I suppose we're talking relatively short term now from November to your recovery into now speaking to you at the end of April. Um, Are you noticing residual effects? You described a a couple of months long brain fog. What about things like I mean, I understand your entire family has been quite active. Have you been able to resume that activity? Uh, In terms of, let's say, resuming activity. So prior to COVID, we would usually all uh, like myself, my husband and my parents would usually have like. 45 minute long workouts that we easily get through. And it took, it took several months post COVID to be able to get back into those. I think in terms of our overall fitness levels, we're almost at that stage yet, but there is still some, let's say residual fatigues, fatigue. I still get uh, random bouts of um, good old, post-COVID tachycardia, where my heart rate at rest just jumps up to over 100. And um, uh, pardon, I guess, that too much information, but it also impacted uh, uh, my hormonal cycle. So that has not quite resolved yet either. So it's, it's bit by bit getting better, but there's definitely still things that are, let's say, unbalanced as to what they were before yeah and and hey by the way i, I don't think that's too much information I, I think that's information that's relevant to more than 50 percent of our audience and so people are going to want to yeah. hear that right um olga how about how about yourself i mean where do you continue to you know i i heard this like in 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 sort of plain terms from a friend of mine who who was on a i mean she was in a coma an induced coma in vancouver um about a year ago and and a very active young mom and 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 she told me that she still feels that if she runs up one flight of stairs it really takes a toll on her Uh, where do you feel it if at all well i think because right now we because i got my positive test on november 16th so and we are now what essentially end of april early may and i think i could say that sometime early april I pretty much came back to be able to, you know, do these workouts that we together were doing. This uh, between, you know, on average about 45 minute workouts per day, because it really took a very, very long road. I sh- I would say that still up to now, what ha- I what I'm still, you know, being really troubled by is it did disturb my circadian rhythm. So my sleep cycles, I think I do, I still do have some sleep problems and it's definitely terrible to have them. So for example, you know, the ability to fall asleep, the ability to have restful sleep, 
Uh, I think it is still not back to normal. And henceforth, that also feeds back into, you know, a certain amount of fatigue. So if I were to say, am I back to my 100%, I'd say I'm getting there. I'm around at a 90% mark because of these disturbances. And, and, you know, again, that really is, it is really very bothersome for, it's actually, you know, I'm okay to say that for my husband, who was an extremely trained person, like, again, we all were working out all through COVID. We took a pledge that every day together, the family would do a workout just to, you know, keep us active to, you know, stay together. We used to walk 10,000 steps a day. After COVID, I was happy to have, to have walked 200 meters. Wow, 200 meters. Yeah. Unbelievable. My husband still has oxygen saturation problems. Is that right? For unknown reason. Nobody really understands why his oxygen sets, like we are now talking probably about oxygen is 97, 99. He's about 93, 94. And he lies down flat as about 1991. Nobody really knows why. It does something to the way your body regulates yourself, this autonomic dysregulation that it causes. And the funny part is, he doesn't feel it. Hmm. Uh, well, again, Anna, something, something just because we're doing this live, I'll just something changed with regards to our audio as as we were talking. It sounds like maybe like a fan came on, or maybe sounds a little bit like there's a helicopter overhead. One of you, and I just want to make sure our audio. If if anything changed in the last couple of minutes, I just wanted to give you a heads up there. And if it's nothing we can control, then it's not the end of the world. But I just wanted okay. to note it. Um, I also wanted I to read think, that. I think I know the reason. Okay. Perfect. It yeah. Might be the fans from my laptop. Oh. There you go. It's fixed. Let me just mute. No, it's okay. No, it's it's resolved itself. So we're good. Oh. This is okay. This is what we have. It. This Sorry. is what you have when you have an epigeneticist on the show. They can problem <laughs> so they can figure things out in two seconds flat and and figure it out. Um, I want to put this on the record. Uh, uh, Doctor Joe Vipon is watching right now, um, and he says I forgot to mention the views I stated are mine alone, and they don't necessarily represent those of Alberta Health Services or the Department of Emergency Medicine at the University of Calgary. So that's on the record from Doctor Joe Vipon. Um, Anna, let me ask you this, uh, or, or, or Doctor Fieselier, I should say, of course. Um, and I want to ask you both this question. Why was it so important for you to be here today? I mean, you're, you're, yeah, you're, you're doctors, and, and that's relevant. It, it establishes your credibility. Uh, but you wanted to be here to provide the patient perspective. Um, you just happen to be doctors, uh, which, of yes. course, informs your understanding of this. But, Anna, why was it important for you to be here today? At least for me, that even, let's uh, say, as, uh, as someone that's quite involved in both science and and medicine i still partially had the thought like okay like yes there's this um uh this covid bug around would i want to be infected by it no i'm going to take precautions about it but until i got like sick from it and until i saw my whole family going through and struggling with it i don't think the i had a true appreciation just for how difficult and disabling having COVID could be. And I figured if, um, if my mom and I could share our perspectives, not as let's say medical or science professionals, but as people who went through this, uh, through this virus that could help others be like, Oh, maybe we should take it more seriously because you never know if you're going to be the lucky person who's going to, have an easy breezy two weeks, come out of it totally fine, just 
or if you're going to be someone who ends up in oxygen, ends up in the ICU, ends up passing away. You just, it's not really a gamble that you want to take after you go through it once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Olga, um, Dr. Kovalchuk, I mean, I'm just, you know, we have our studio monitors here and I'm, and I'm watching live news coverage and, and a CBC reporter is, is outside a hospital in Brampton where she has drawn the, the, uh, the unfortunate assignment of reporting on the death of a 13 year old girl, uh, by the name of Emily Vegas, uh, to COVID-19, um, We've heard that uh, children as young as two, a two-year-old passed away uh, just the other day, a toddler, um, due to this disease. Uh, meantime, we have people downplaying the impact of it, the severity of it, um, whether that's on young people or healthy people or, or whatever the case may be. There's a lot of talk about comorbidities and the average age of death uh, in Alberta. It's 82 years of age, uh, at least last I checked, um, with regards to the more than 2,000 Albertans that have died. Um, in your opening comment here, Dr. Kovalchuk, you said that we encounter, I don't, I'm paraphrasing, you said you know we encounter so much misinformation information uh, we see so many people pushing that misinformation uh, in public forums and that's one of the reasons you wanted to to join us why don't we hit a couple of those head-on um, what is what what do you see people putting out there that, that really grinds your gears thank you Ryan this was actually really why I wanted to be here because I really have this vivid memory here am I lying flat on my bed was you know headache, just starting to subside after I took a load of Advil and Tylenol. And, you know, people, friends would send text messages and, and of course, you know, some of them on Messenger and you open Facebook and here is somebody talking about, oh, this is a hoax. There isn't anything, this COVID is a hoax. It's all made up. It's all, uh, you know, it only kills old people. It's just the flu, get over it. And, you know, at that point, I was so sick that it was just like the only thing I could afford is to face palm and say, like, really? Maybe you can come and cook for me and then we'll talk in a week, but that would be really mean, <laughs> you know? So, and, and you know, you'd want to type and say, people, it's so real. And it it's really very disabling. Don't gamble with it. And And up to now, and this is what really bothers me, up to now, people continue talking about, oh, this is all just a flu. And I just want to cry out loud, people, it's not a flu. Believe me, I had flus. And I actually even had pneumonia, you know, about 10 years ago. It's not a flu. It's not pneumonia. It's a quite crippling virus. And the other thing is, I do not know where in the world have we picked it up. We have been very careful. The only places we went, I had to go to the dental office. We had to go shopping to Costco like millions of other people. And my husband had to stop to t by TD Bank to do something in person. And we picked it up, even though we were so careful. So I want to reiterate, it's a serious situation. And you never really know, like Anya said, you never, you don't want to play this quote unquote Russian roulette trying to figure out, oh, I'm going to be lightly affected, who cares? Because what if not? And I have known some people who passed away uh, about on April 6, uh, one of my classmates, 51, passed away of COVID. Uh, and this was a shock for all of us. And one of my colleagues lost his father to COVID and his father was in his mid-60s. And again, it's just, it's a really disabling disease. And I think as a community, we have been doing a lot. Albertans have been, we all have been through a lot. 
because no, nobody enjoys lockdowns. Nobody enjoys all the crippling other effects. But we have gone already that far. We have put so much effort into trying together to combat it that I think we are almost hitting the home run, you know, and if we all continue collectively thinking, what can we do? I hear people saying, oh, masks are so terrible, it's impossible. It's like, guys, nobody is asking you to wear a 150-pound backpack in front of you. Come on, it's just a mask. Oh, it's going to cripple you. You're going to be lacking oxygen. I was like, sure, look at all the dentists and doctors. They just all just die out of oxygen. You know, when they just, like, don't they drop dead? Oh, last time we checked, they didn't. Huh. You know, and this is something that I really, as a person, also as an educator, I was teaching my biology 1010 class, and actually I have gone that far as to show them how to properly put a mask on and how to change it, how not to wear an old dirty piece of cloth just to make sure that somebody who is checking sees that. You're not doing it for somebody who is checking, you're doing it for yourself and for your families and for your community. And for all of us to get out of this you know, situation sooner rather than later, so that we don't have this grim announcements like this young kid, God bless their soul, may they rest in peace, dying from it, you know? Yeah, it's so terrible. Uh, Tracy's Tracy's watching us live right now says, if you're willing to wear underwear and a shirt, why won't you put some fabric on your face, too? (laughs) There you go. Um, uh, Linda Ray says, I've had pneumonia five times over my 50 plus years. And if COVID is Mm -hmm. worse than pneumonia, you do not want to experience it. Um, Dr. Dr. Kovalchuk, what's it like when you when you when you're a physician? I mean, here's the thing, because I think the average person may think that if they go into the hospital um, and and maybe I'm uh, misrepresenting the experience. But when you say on oxygen, I mean, the average person may say, oh, I mean, they're just wanting to ensure that my levels are correct. And so I'm on oxygen. And, you know, that's great. They just want to make sure I get everything I need. (laughs) And we can see from your body language, those watching as you roll your eyes so bad, you risk a migraine headache. Um, I know (laughs) as a physician, as a doctor doctor as a researcher when you go on oxygen um your brain is telling you what that means what was your brain telling you with that experience you'd experience it differently than Mm -hmm. a lay person you know it was scary because all of a sudden you have this feeling that you know how would i put it in right words in plain language that i just can't put two words together all of us, you know, I never had this problem. I'm used to be able to critically think, to verbalize my thoughts. And all of a sudden you realize you're looking for words. You're in a total fog. I was like, am I just dumb? What's happening? And that's number one. Number two is you have this constant urge to breathe in. Like, like as if you just really constantly want to have more air. As if, you know, as if you're kind of suffocating, but you're not. So it's really very kind of, it's, it's scary. It's a really scary experience. And then you start realizing, oh my gosh, I'm really low on oxygen. And this is where being a medical professional stops helping because you know what this can do to you. You, you know what hypoxia can do. You know how it can damage heart. So of course that, you know, kind of chilling feeling that, oh my God, what is it doing to me now sets in. 
But I should say we were really blessed. We had a really great medical team and they recognized it earlier and we had oxygen prescribed and we had oxygen. And honestly, when you start breathing it in, you start feeling the effects because brain fog, it kicks in right away. You honestly, it's very difficult to even think when you are off, you know, when you are lacking oxygen, you're constantly trying to, you know, yawn and you can think and you're kind of, you know, you just kind of become really, not really sleepy, but kind of in, indeed kind of in foggy. Yeah. Your, your mind becomes foggy. And, and again, for a common person, I kept telling to some of my friends, I said, guys, these are the symptoms to watch. If God forbid you have it, please get yourself a pulse oximeter. Please, you know, watch for these symptoms. And if, if you're catching them, please immediately contact your doctors. Don't wait. Don't, you know, brush it off. These are the things to watch for. Anya actually gave our friends pulse oximeters as a gift. She ordered them and sent it to some of our friends and said, God forbid, please have them. They will save your life. Wow. Uh, Anya, what, what, what sort of an impact did your illness um, obviously, you're a young woman. What what impact did you see it having on your peer circle, on 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 you know the younger friends of your family? Um, do you mean in terms of like, like, like being do you think like I know yeah or? I mean I know for example like with our friend Jackie um, and she's been on the show before people can look for Jackie Robinson she was in the first month of Real Talk she did an interview with us um, it was when Jackie got really sick and was in an induced coma that more people our age started taking it seriously it's like people need to hear a story of a 25 or a 35 year old or a 45 year old in a coma uh or unfortunately hear of the tragic passing of a young person to all of a sudden go well maybe this isn't just you know something that's taking down people that had six weeks to live anyway i mean mm -hmm. i hate to be crude like that but that's what people are saying without saying it right yeah 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 so like when i um both my let's say my husband and I, we're in our, I suppose, mid to late 20s. And when we had COVID, he was lucky in the sense that he didn't have it quite to the same extent as everyone else. But he also had, you know, fever, cough, massive fatigue in terms of that. Uh, so he wasn't enjoying himself, uh, like of appetite. Um, you know, he was just laying around in bed trying to rest and... Um, it was much the same for myself uh, for about, let's say, the first month. I had troubles going up the stairs. I would have to pause partway. Um, and I'm, I don't quite recall if it was to catch my breath or just because I was so tired that the thought and the act of going up the stairs was something that had to be broken up into, I guess, two steps, halfway, rest, rest of the way. Um, I went through bouts of just terrible chills where I had to layer several hoodies onto myself, wrap myself in blankets, and just, you know, lay there for hours while I was freezing essentially um and then again uh that tachycardia i mentioned where it was something like okay you've overexerted yourself a bit by 
I don't know, getting up and <laughs> making yourself some food. Right. As a result, you get two hours of, uh, of your heart rate in the 120s, 130s, you know, fatigued to the point where just sitting there was making me feel ill. Um, I've got a great comment uh, it, here. It from, was not a good time. <laughs> and yeah, I've got a comment here from, from Lawlazaz, one of our regular commenters. He says, you know, statistics can be manipulated to present any narrative. And it's so important to hear the stories of the people who are the statistics, uh, which I think is just a great point. Debbie, by the way, says comorbidities. Um, the conversation around them really annoys me. He says, if I have cancer and I get killed in a car crash, it's the car crash that killed me, not the cancer. You know, people are using comorbidities to skew the conversation, uh, which I think is true. And to, and to dismiss a lot of the concern around it. Yes. We've touched about that on past shows. Um, I'm so grateful that the two of you, first of all, are 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 doing all right. Um, I'm thrilled, uh, Olga, I know that for, you know, your mom's health was, was of, of, of great concern to you for obvious reasons. Anyone can relate. And I'm so happy to hear, hear that she is, is finding her way out of this as well. Thank you so much to the both of you for taking the time to share your very personal story with our audience today. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Ryan, for having us. And thank you for inviting people like us. It's crucially important, especially now. And if I can have one last comment, please, people, please vaccinate, please. It's there. It's available. Uh, unfortunately, it's going a bit slower. But actually, what I can say that there is a lot of credible research also showing that even people who have had COVID are it's important for them to get vaccinated. And of course, for those who haven't experienced this not fun experience, please do so. I really want to also dismiss lots of misinformation going out around the vaccines. And this is something that we all can do to get better because nobody wants to be sick. Very well said. Um, that's Dr. Olga Kovalchuk, her daughter, Dr. Anya Fieselier. Um, our gratitude to you both. Um, and of course, you can Thank keep you. the comments coming here. Thank you both. Um, the comments on our live chat here. Um, you know, I mean, these are great. The, the, what they were describing, uh, Sarah, kind of reminded me as a scuba diver of, of nitrogen narcosis, where if you've been deep enough for long enough, um, things that are you don't feel it. Um, one of the most dangerous parts about it is that you're you're unaware of it because it kind of sneaks up on you. Um, but I remember even as, as, as getting my, uh, as part of getting my advanced diving certification, you go down, you do a deep dive. We were around 44 meters and we, we had done, um, some mental puzzles up at, at sea level, so to speak, sitting on the dive boat and they timed you. It was like matching games and sort of like basic comprehension type exercises. And were you like, oh, come on. Well, I you're kind of like, this must leap. It, yeah, and it feels silly. Yeah. Right. Like match the square with the square, the circle with the circle, the triangle with the triangle. You're like, yeah. you go, OK. And they'd time you and it would take, you know, let's say 14 seconds, hypothetically. And then we go down and we're diving. And we're down about, you know, between 36 and 44 meters. And uh, we're down there uh, for a short period of time. And then, you know, it's all waterproofed and laminated and they provide you with the same assignment. And you're going and you put it together and you're using your hand signals and you do it all and they time you. And I remember him showing me the t the stopwatch and yeah. it was it was about 40 to 50 percent. It was taking me 40 to 50 percent longer 
to figure out basic comprehension. And then when you start to think about the decisions you're making mm. on these dives about how much air, how much oxygen you need in your tank to come up, when it's time to come up, what's worth it, what's not, breaking away from a dive buddy, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, then you realize how important it is that your thinking is being impacted um, but you're not necessarily aware of it. They call it medical toxicology. It's just that's what the doctor was saying. They're kind of reminding me of that experience. It can kind of sneak up on you that fog that can be hard to describe, um, but it's undeniable that it's there. Yeah, I was also uh, on the chat here on YouTube. Uh, Fatima said it, it reminded just hearing the you know, shortness of breath and all the different symptoms. It sounds like a panic attack. It does. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, any way you slice it, it's... Uh, you don't want it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Ash says, I get told that I'm hypervigilant about COVID and uh, says, but it always seems to be coming from the people who've never been hospitalized, unable to breathe. Mm. When you have those memories, you don't take chances. And that's why I think that these these patient stories, so to speak, are so important. And we're always curious to hear from you. You know, people will say, how do you get these guests on the show? How, how are you constantly in touch with these people? How are you lining up these interviews? Um, and, and Sarah, who now has had access to her <laughs> email, you've yeah. seen you've seen your your email inbox for what now, like 24 hours, you've had access to it and you're yeah. getting a bit of a sense. And it was a bit of a lull weekend. It was a bit of a slow weekend. You're, you're going to hear from a lot of people. Gulp. Talk at RyanJesperson.com is going to go to Sarah and I. And um, and if you want to reach out to the show, whether with that's a pitch or a personal story, uh, your reflections uh, we will get to positive reflections in a few minutes here on the show uh, or even suggested guest ideas. Talk at RyanJesperson.com is the address to use. Get quick shout out here to the team at Friesen Brothers. They've just opened their 15th Alberta location. It's their first in South Edmonton, just off the Anthony Hende at Rabbit Hill Road. You've got a license to grill, and they've got all of your barbecue season essentials. It's the time of the year to step outside, smell that charcoal, and sizzle your favorite meals to perfection. We believe at Friesen Brothers that really great food matters. And we've got all the fresh Alberta ingredients and everything for the side. When you heat up your grill with quality meal ideas and your plating skills, every warm day can be a barbecue day with Friesen Brothers. Also, a big shout out to the team at Dairy Queen. I told you that I met with Mark and Michelle and Michael. They own those six locations in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. And starting May 1st, we're going to start rolling out incentives. Whether they're promo codes or special deals, they'll be different every month for real talkers who are visiting those Dairy Queen locations. We're so grateful to be partnering with them. Uh, these are the stores in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, Y Gardens, and Baseline Road. We're also going to talk to you about the Stollery fundraiser that they're doing down the line. Just great community members at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. And finally, a reminder, if you didn't spend this weekend or at least 30 seconds of it changing your furnace filter, maybe, maybe it's been a while since you last got around to that. I'm embarrassed to say that we have a furnace filter sponsor and sometimes I even lag behind the schedule. It's because our to-do lists are so long and they know that at Clean Air Club. That's why their whole website is designed to be easy to use and take all of the onerous tasking away from you. You don't have to get to the big box store to pick up a filter today. You go to cleanairclub.ca, you sign up, they deliver your filters to your door and you stay on schedule. You pay less than you would in store and your family can breathe easy at Clean Air Club. 
Well, a couple of hours into the first show here is a member of our team, our new Chase producer, Sarah Hoyles. How are you feeling settled in? You feel you're, you know, you're kind of connecting with the, the live viewing community, everything going cool, copacetic from your end? Oh, yeah. I'm really, I'm really enjoying this so far. Well, the show is great. <laughs> what are you going to say? <laughs> if it sucks, it's on you now. No, I'm just kidding, Sarah. You know, one of the things, one of our traditions on Monday that, that sometimes it's a, a bit of a gut check and sometimes mm. it's difficult to look at and sometimes it's really inspiring or the results of our Real Talk Question of the Week. So every Monday, we roll out a new Question of the Week and we review um, the results of what hundreds of you told us over the seven days prior. It's all put together by our official research and strategy partners at Y Station, inspired by the tragic passing of Edmontonian Rob White, who is believed to have perished in the North Saskatchewan River after going in to rescue a complete stranger's dog at the Buena Vista or Laurie dog park uh, we asked you about how you connect with others how you contribute to your community how you show your love to community members and uh, you responded on mass just under 600 of you uh, completed surveys online via ryanjesperson.com it, it, it was a different poll for sure um, but we received hundreds of touching stories of appreciation and service to one another. Sam why don't we get into some of the highlights that the team at Y station has passed along um, Look at this, 45% of Real Talk listeners only say I love you to one or two people on a regular basis. Virtually half of us, basically half of us say I love you to just one or two people on a regular basis, which I thought was an interesting one. Let's take a look at one of the other highlights that the team at Y Station pulled out of the data. Look at this, 79% of listeners are committed to telling people how they feel on a more regular basis. We're asking about the impact of this particular event on you as well as COVID-19 as a whole. It's impacted a lot of your perspectives in a big way, um, certainly including mine. Let's take a look at another one before we dig into some of the testimonials. How about this? 91% of listeners express their love for others through acts of service. Mm. Is that you? Oh, big time. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's really easy to, um, well, maybe for me, it's easier to, you know, do something for someone than to tell them that, hey, you know, I kind of like you. <laughs> so your, your, your physical expression or the manifestation of how you care by, by way of an act of services is in lieu of verbalizing it. Yes, uh, unless you're my dog. And then, I mean, I feel, I always have felt sorry for significant others in my life because I tell my dog, I love them like multi and like, they are adorable. They are the best, like multiple times a day. Meanwhile, you know, my significant others over there being like, Hey, what about, what about me? <laughs> what about you? And you're like, get in line yeah. when I'm done, when I'm done talking to the dog, we'll talk to you, Sam. How about you? Which way are you wired when it comes I, you know, to, honestly, I, I, I can, I, I almost a hundred percent parallel Sarah on this one. Um, dogs just get the special treatment you tell them you love them constantly because they look at you with big furry faces mm. and big brown puppy eyes and uh, how can you not love that um whereas yeah i'm i'm very much a i'm, I'm a doer more than i'm a speaker like especially for people in my life so i i i 100 percent resonate with that sentiment for sure yeah don't you, you feel also that like when you do an act of service it's you're you're present for that person and you're able to say like i see what you yeah what what you're doing and what you value and this is important to you and you could use some help i don't know i, I don't think it's necessarily a kind of uh a, a workaround i think it's just a different way of expressing 
um, not verbally <laughs> expressing. Shalane is just trying to pick fights this morning um, <laughs> on the live chat. She, live chat. She says, yeah, acts of service for sure. Uh, nothing says I love you more than emptying my dishwasher. Um, she, she, she's trying to take a very divisive <laughs> issue and put it between us like this plexiglass. Let's do it. On our very first day. Uh, no, like I said, this show, there's no room for debate on matters of right and wrong, black and white. So unfortunately, unfortunately, that's not going to happen. In all seriousness, though, what about this, though? I mean, this is this is indicative as well so we saw that statistic that shows of 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 those audience members that responded to this survey 45 percent say i love you to just one or two people a day Mm -hmm. meantime 43 percent believe we should say i love you to three to five people a day okay so about half of us only say it to one or two about half of us you know four in ten believe you should say it to more to three to five people i'm trying to think of who i would say on a daily basis my son mm-hmm. my wife my parents there's four and and typically at least one one pal um i've always been a guy that i, I always tell my friends i love them a hundred percent yeah i think i you know what that was one of the things that um um oh my gosh i'm drawing a blank was it called long time running i think the doc on the tragically hips final tour i think it was yes, called yeah, long, was time long time running, running right yeah. and that's one of the things that gord downey started doing on their on their last and maybe he was doing it before but at least they showed him doing it and some people commented on how meaningful it was it was before every show right before they would take to the stage he would go and he'd kiss the guys on the lips like just i love you i love you and he would kiss them on the lips and they'd head out and and this was his goodbye to canada mm-hmm. it was the last he knew for a fact it was the last time the band would tour and I just thought that was so beautiful. And I don't know, maybe sometimes men more than women, we get kind of hung up on that kind of stuff, hugging each other or saying we love each other. But I think it's really important. So we asked if audience members would commit. This this question of the week did not mess around. It was putting you on the spot. It was asking you to make commitments. Will you commit to start telling those people how you feel on a more regular basis, if not every day? 79%, four out of five, eight out of 10 of you said Yes, you will commit to start telling these people how you feel on a more regular basis, which I think is absolutely beautiful. 91% as mentioned, express your love through acts of service. What about this? Only 34% of us pay it forward anonymously, like buying a stranger's coffee in the drive-thru. It says only 34%, but I feel like that's not bad. There's, There's room for improvement, but three out of 10 is not bad. Pretty good. But maybe this type of thing, maybe a show like this, maybe mentioning this will prompt some people to take some action. What I want to know is, you know, they're making these commitments. How do do you how do we do a follow up? Maybe we will. Like in four weeks. So about those uh, promises, commitments you made. Well, you know what I'd love to do is I'd love I'd love to to, you know, establish a metric uh, right now, which why don't we just make it our hashtag Real Talk RJ. Um, if you have an act of service, a random act of kindness, I mean, it's, you know, people are going to be shy and they're going to say, well, I don't want to toot my own horn, but if you can find a tactful way to do it or a way you're comfortable with, I would love to see or nominate someone or nominate somebody, Uh, you know, real talk, RJ, interpret it as you will, you know, the assignment, but make sure you use our hashtag so we can share some of these stories. And and I mean, maybe next Monday's positive reflections is going to be that. Maybe we'll review tweets of of random acts of kindness or acts of service. Um, We asked, how do you show people in your life that you appreciate them? Uh, We received hundreds and hundreds of comments. And so I apologize. I'm going to leave a ton on the table. But um, one one viewer said last year, my spouse's years long fight with addiction and opioids came to light. 
So I showed her appreciation by standing by them and supporting their sobriety. And, and last week they celebrated one year clean and I'm so proud of them. Amazing. Um, another said handwritten notes. Uh, another says I have a bad memory. So I have a notebook in which I keep all important dates relating to my loved ones, random things that they love, interests they may have. I also jot down notes about what they're working on and what's important to them. Listen to this goes on to say, I have a tab for each person to help me find things easier. I'm currently on my sixth notebook. I've been doing this for 14 years. This is amazing. I need, I mean, I have in my phone on my calendar, I'll put in um, birthdays and make sure that I uh, like do the yearly. I like, I like clip, clip, touch, switch the tab that says, (laughs) that says make it happen yearly. So I don't forget. And then sometimes when someone mentions something, then I'll write it down in my notes on my phone about, you know, oh, they, they, they mentioned this. So I'll make sure when their birthday comes or, you know, next time, maybe Christmas, I'll, I'll make sure to get that. But that person just like raised the bar. Yeah, I got to level up. We got to level up here. Raised the bar in a big way. And those past notebooks would be amazing to look through as well. Wouldn't that be incredible? So we asked you, how do you show support for, uh, you know, an appreciation for strangers in your community? And here's what hundreds of you told us. 95%, you know, said that you engage in the small courtesies, holding doors, letting somebody merge in traffic. Uh, May I throw in as an editorial inclusion, waving when somebody lets you in in traffic. I love that, and I always, I always try to do it. I yeah. refuse to accept it's a lost art. I oh yeah, it's a hundred percent a. Uh, it, it, we need to keep fighting. We for need it. to keep, yeah. It's not a lost art. It's it's the it, it's such a simple courtesy. It's a thing that should be taught to you when you learn to drive. Quite frankly, <sighs> give people the courtesy wave. It it will just it makes everybody feel better about themselves. I totally agree. Part of driver's ed- education. I love it. Yeah, yeah I, driver's ed isn't mandatory either. I don't know if that should be mandatory. It's maybe. Yeah. I mean, there's probably cost barriers involved and things that we need to seriously consider, but that doesn't mean, I mean, you know, would it maybe make sense? We talked about COVID zero earlier today with Dr. Joe Vipon. You've heard about the uh, vision zero, which are these campaigns around, you know, they say zero collisions, zero injuries, zero fatalities. And people will always say, well, that's not realistic at all, but you endeavor to hit zero and Mm -hmm. then you see where you wind up. I would think investing in driver's ed classes might be a good way to go someone's going to write in and say there's jesperson spending more money spending more from the public purse well i was going to say they're not mandatory but like if you take them your insurance goes way down big so time. there is a big payoff for taking it which yeah, especially yeah. especially yeah. for young male drivers oh, yes um considering that ageism and sexism play huge roles um in assigning uh, insurance rates uh i don't even think that that's debatable but I, i'd be happy to hear someone's argument that they're not um 68 of you said that you show support and appreciation for strangers by taking the time to learn and share new perspectives um 60 of you donate to causes when you hear compelling stories we see evidence of that all the time when we tell you about initiatives here on the show real talkers respond in a big way um 49 let's say one in two of you shares and supports compelling community stories and causes on social media um so that 34 percent there that you know pays it forward anonymously by buying somebody's coffee for example at the drive-thru that's just one example people are still stepping up in big ways um how about this how do you show support and appreciation other mentions these are the ones where you have a blank uh area on our question of the week and you can just fill it in however you like listener says i'm the guy with a snowblower in my neighborhood so in the winter i like to run it the full length of the street clearing everybody's sidewalk when there's a big dump of snow says i know there's a couple of seniors on my street so i do their walkways as well amazing 
Another says, when I'm out walking my little wolves, I, I take a plastic bag with me and pick up garbage along our route, a small gesture to help keep the world cleaner. Another says, I'm not a big fan of compelling stories or public displays. There's a lot that gets lost in the cracks, in the forgotten back alleys, the not so pretty stories. And there's a lot to be said for people who do good when nobody's looking rather than those who only do good when it's in the spotlight. We also asked you to tell us about a time when somebody unexpectedly showed you how much you meant to them. We received literally hundreds of stories. One said, my mom gave me a book, What I Love About You, and she completed all the pages with special memories and messages, and I will cherish it forever. You look like your heart's about to explode, Sarah. It's going to like leap right out of my chest. Yeah. Another says, when I was struggling with postpartum and a lack of sleep after our second child, a longtime peripheral friend showed up at my door out of the blue, took over childcare for a couple of hours and told me how important it was to seek help. And it made me realize that somebody saw what I was going through and more people were there for me than I realized. I love this one. At the beginning of the lockdown last year, I was diagnosed with cancer. And I had to undergo surgery and chemotherapy. And, and on more than one occasion, my music jam friends brought their equipment to my house. We set up a small jam in the yard on Sundays, still observing COVID protocols. Being able to play music with my friends would take me out of my head for a while and lift my spirits. Another says, I was having a terrible week. My neighbor surprised me with flowers and a simple note saying that she understood and had encountered moments in life like I was experiencing Another said, I texted a friend in Victoria the other week telling her I was stressed and I wished that I was out doing some West Coast forest bathing. I don't know what that is, but I can use my imagination and it sounds wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's fully clothed. (laughs) You're fully clothed and you're just out in the the forest. Just being out in the forest. The clothes are optional. Yeah, you don't have to be okay, fully that's clothed. True. That's true. That's true. But you're in the forest. No one's going to see you there. So forest bathing is what allowing allowing the, the the your your five senses to 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 totally take in what's around you. Is that it? I mean, ultimately, it's going for a walk in nature. I mean, it sounds really fancy schmance, but it's really just walking out there in the forest amongst the foliage. So so, so basically, those of us who are who are behind the times just call that hiking. Well, but not even hiking, just getting yeah. out. Yeah. Like, That's like fair. I think, yeah. You know, sometimes like just the other day, uh, I don't want to alarm anybody, <laughs> but I actually went and did some cardiovascular exercise. I, I don't want anybody to get concerned. Um, but I realized that it took me about three minutes to get out into nature uh, when I put my mind to it and the payoff at the end, you kind of remind yourself and you go, oh, yeah, that's why it's so great. Anyway, this listener goes on to say, said I was able wish I was able to do some West Coast forest bathing on Friday. She texted me to let me know that she had just popped into the mail a forest smelling bath product as the next best thing. Isn't that nice? Amazing. Another says the staff that reports to me had a mug made up to celebrate my 20 years with the organization. I didn't even know the anniversary was on the horizon. They included a signed poster with heartfelt messages of how I had an impact on them. And I was so overwhelmed. I started to cry, but in a good way. It made me realize small gestures can have a huge impact. We work in healthcare, and it's been a tough year. And it really gave me a boost when I needed it. I mean, I literally could go on for hours. I mean, we've got nowhere to be. Maybe we will. But I mean, there, there are hundreds of these. You know, one says, I live in an area that's not necessarily friendly. I've been gardening for the last 30 years. I have a nice established yard, uh, one that I did with next to no money. And last year, a neighbor that's lived down the street from me for about as long as I have been there stopped to let me know how much my yard gives her a good feeling and that she notices how much I've done 
And it was nice because a lot of the time I feel really unnoticed and unimportant. That one was big for me for a couple of reasons. Another says out of the blue, I got a huge hug, a thank you. And an I love you from somebody who avoids hugs at all costs. Another says my elderly neighbors have been leaving treats in the mailbox for my kids. They know how hard it is for everybody. You see, we were trying to make you cry on your first day, Sarah. I'm going to be a puddle on the ground here. (laughs) They know how hard it is for everyone to be in lockdown. And it's so great to feel their support. It makes a day so much brighter to have a surprise for the kids in the mailbox. Another said a former student who struggled with academic life in early post-secondary is now a physician who graduated at the top of their class. She printed a quote of mine and put it in her office. And she messaged me the other day to show me a picture of it. And to let me know that one day she was a, a, a one day away from dropping out of her undergrad. And the quote is each unique scenario requires a unique approach to learning. She was great with memorization. She struggled with application and it took a couple of weeks to reframe application as the memorization of an ideal process, not the outcome. Now a physician. Wow. Amazing. Another says, I work as a disability manager. There are some really difficult stories out there. I received a phone call the other day from somebody I worked with over a year ago. They were retiring. They wanted to let me know what a difference I'd made in their life. She shared what my kindness had meant to her and was so complimentary about the impact that it made me cry. And it was unexpected and the kindness meant everything. Oh, man. I mean, these are these are incredible. And yet, like, they're so simple. Some of them are so yeah. simple. Which so it doesn't have to be some grand gesture. It's yeah, it's it's inspiring. A viewer says many years ago, I was feeling sad. My entire family had decided to move away to the coast uh, for my birthday that year. The first one without family around a good friend arranged for my entire family to record a video wishing me a happy birthday. I broke down into tears. <laughs> How about this? I'd been endlessly praising a comic shop for its fair prices, great selection and amazing atmosphere. When I went in to pick up books, the owner said, hang on, I've got something for you. This reference is going to be lost on me, but uh, some of you will recognize the significance, I'm sure. He came back with a slabbed copy of Ms. Marvel issue one. I was totally moved to tears. This was a book he could have sold for 80 bucks and he just gave it to me. And I am speechless. I was it was totally unexpected. I'd been out of work for almost eight months, says another. I was broke AF. <laughs> That's broke as fuck, friends. <laughs> I was finally starting to get bites on my resume, and I was getting ready to do some interviews. Um, I wear my hair short and sassy, and I needed a haircut badly, and I definitely couldn't afford it. I mean, I couldn't even afford my rent. And I had an appointment booked, and I called to cancel because I just couldn't afford it. And a few days before, they called to confirm my appointment. And when I noted that I had canceled it, they told me that somebody had paid for my cut. And to this day, I'm so grateful for that person who is probably my sister who covered that cost and gave my spirit the boost I so desperately needed in that moment. Things started turning back around for me a couple of weeks later. I often think back fondly on that wonderful act of restoration of my dignity. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Another says, my son very often will say things that just absolutely floor me. I'll be sitting on the couch and he'll just come up and say he loves me or he's thankful for something we've done. He's six. And not only does it make me feel great to hear, but it also makes me feel like I'm crushing it as a parent. (laughs) Hey, if there are six or 16 or 46 year olds, your parents are always going to want to hear from you no matter what. And what a great day. What a great reminder 
uh, to say thank you to your folks or to say thank you for those caregivers or those people that have played a formative influence in your life. This is a great time to remind you, of course, as the weather starts to turn, no matter where you are, and we get into the beautiful months of summer, that there's no time like the presence to maximize your outdoor space, whether that's the front yard that desperately needs some curb appeal, maybe it's the backyard that maybe you've been neglecting a tiny little bit, or maybe it's a brand new build. You take a look at what the builder's giving you for landscaping, and you go, we can do way better. At landscapeedmonton.ca, you'll see evidence of what Eden Landscaping can do and what they have been doing for more than 20 years. They work with you. They determine your budget, the best fit for you, what your dream looks like. They design it, and then they build it. They make it happen. Dream to reality with Eden Landscaping. We're proud to partner with them. The link to their website, again, also under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. That's also where you'll find the team at Kubi Energy. Kubi Energy is a Tesla-certified solar installer, commercial, residential, industrial, based out of Edmonton and Kamloops, so they can serve Western Canada. They employ only journeyman electricians and electrical apprentices, so you know the job's being done right, and they do all your paperwork so you don't miss out on any available subsidies or government investments in your transition toward more sustainable energy. Every Monday to kick off our broadcast week, Kubi Energy presents a little something we call Positive Reflections. Sorry, guys, appear to be having some problems with the music here. (laughs) It's all good, buddy. There she goes. These are submitted to talk at ryanjesperson.com and and it might come across as a bit of a self-serving exercise because, well, these are a few emails that we felt didn't fit any other segment because they're basically just talking about real talk and you. But it kickstarted our week. I printed off a few over the weekend and we wanted to let you know how much these messages mean to us. Like Amy, who reached out from Sylvan Lake to say, I feel compelled to express what a difference listening to this podcast has made in my life. It's created for me a sense of community with people who actually give a shit about others and who care about issues that really matter. Says, I appreciate this show keeps it real and calls out BS while providing educational opportunities about topics that impact our lives. Thanks for giving me a sense of hope, for challenging me to think critically and to analyze different perspectives and for making me laugh every day. I'd like to thank the show for encouraging me to be a better human by exposing me to rich, intelligent, diverse, and thoughtful points of view. That from Amy in Sylvan Lake. I'm going to keep that one, Amy. I'm not throwing that away. Donna says, you know, a friend recently suggested I check out the show, and I'm so pleased that I tuned in for the first time last week. This was just a week ago, Donna. Says, I can't listen to it live, but I sure enjoy catching up in the evenings. It's a breath of fresh air in Alberta. The way that you engage your audience, the way the guests are engaged, We're so grateful to have found this show. Thank you for broadening my awareness and boosting my energy. That from Donna. This from Brenda says she's a real talk chatterboxer. Brenda says these guests that you present every week are phenomenal. My emotions have been all over the map from anger to tears to warm fuzzies. And I can't thank the team enough. Says I haven't missed a broadcast since number one, November 23rd of 2020. I encourage others often to catch, to listen in. To download the podcast brenda says i think when we can meet in larger sessions uh, settings we should have a show from friesen brothers parking lot a barbecue with proceeds going to charity thanks a bunch onward and upward brenda we've already cleared it with company president doug lovson it's going to happen and this one from donna donna says my story's not that exciting but i wanted to write in and share because 
I feel like this show is a beacon to truth. Says I've not always been into politics. I voted conservative my whole life, like everybody else in my family. I started paying attention when Ralph Klein was voted in a second time and says, you know, I've started voting differently, NDP, in fact, and I feel like I've found my people. She says, when I heard you were pushed out of 630 chat, I got excited because you strike me as somebody that's got a lot to say. (laughs) My elementary teachers would agree with you, Donna. She says, I knew you'd find a way to say it, and I'm so thrilled to find this podcast. I get my fix of listening to like-minded Albertans hearing two sides to the issues of the day and to seeing more of my people in that live chat. You bring people on your show, you give them the floor, and I get important information from sources that matter. Every day you have guests I've not heard of, and I love it. She says, I'm so grateful in life when sometimes talent is not recognized. Now you're here with us, says Donna. Keep up the great work. Donna, that email made my month, and I'm so grateful you took the time to write it in. You can get us anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. We're going to be back at it tomorrow. We wish you the best Monday you've seen in a long time. And officially, again, Sarah Hoyles, welcome aboard the Chase producer of this show we call Real Talk. We'll talk to you again soon.